You're here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Part of the now playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. Step back! He's dangerous! So am I. Jacob. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. And Stuart. When do we start? What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. He was a freak accident. The goal is to do it better. Thor. You're big. Fought bigger. Captain America. How many of you are ready to help me sock old Adolf on the job? And the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Let me emphasize that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive both to me personally and the army. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. I've always been more curious than cautious. So, are we going to do this? Gentlemen, you're up. Today we're discussing Thor, The Dark World, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Anthony Hopkins, Stellan Skarsgård, Idris Elba, Christopher Eccleston, Kat Dennings, Ray Stevenson, Zachary Levi, Jamie Alexander, and Renee Russo, directed by Adam Taylor. This is Arnie. I gave you my word that I would return. Stuart in L.A.? Hey, and this is Jacob. Hold on one second, guys. I gotta take my pants off. It helps me review better. You too? (laughs) Who knows what goes on? Not a video recording session that we do. (laughs) And we are back in Marvel's Universe. I actually think this is Marvel's Universe, and we just live in it. Every six months. But yeah, it hasn't been so long ago we were doing Iron Man 3. Hey, it may be every six months for you, Stuart. It's every week for me. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Marvel TV series spinoff, is on, too. Oh, that's true. So every week I'm seeing Agent Coulson back from the dead. Jacob was right in the Avengers review we did way back when. He did not stay dead, but his career kind of went to television, so it's almost the same. (laughs) You know, I watched one episode of that. To me, it's not even comparably the same thing. I think that I wouldn't even associate it with the movies that I saw if they didn't keep mentioning S.H.I.E.L.D. so much. I think that's maybe one of the problems with this Marvel Universe now is that it's trying to tell, I feel like, one singular story. We're in one singular universe now where, you know, it's a great thing what Marvel's done. It's made a lot of comic book fans happy by bringing the cinematic universe, but I I think it's also, it, it causes questions in my mind if I try to unite all these different pieces together. 
Yeah, if you're a continuity person, there's that problem. I also just think you can say Marvel all you want. This is a TV action show with a middling budget. There's nothing about it that reminds me of any of the official movies other than their insistence that those characters are somewhere just off screen having a good time. I do think it is improving once we started hitting episode four, five, six, and they have already started to lure in those who may be drifting by going, we're going to tie directly into the new Captain America film. What happens in S.H.I.E.L.D.? It's going to lead right to the Winter Soldier. So they got me for a season, but they need to prove themselves. They don't get a pass. To me, this is the same thing as when Hulk ate Twinkies and told you to do the same. (laughs) They feel like ads for the movies, right? But they themselves, it's filler. It's fluff. I wouldn't blame anyone that loved the movies from not buying into the rest of it. There's as much Marvel Universe out there as you want to consume, and I think I'd prefer to keep it in the cinemas every six months. So you're not also adding in those one-shots that they keep putting out on the Blu-rays that we reviewed? They started it with Thor, and then Captain America, they had the two Agent Coulson one-shots. They did do another one for Avengers, and then another one still for Iron Man 3 on Avengers. They had one called Item 41, which was kind of a prototype for the S.H.I.E.L.D. series, really, about two bank robbers with a Chitauri weapon and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents having to stop them. It felt like a 10-minute version of what we're now seeing every week. Yeah, were those two actors, was that a direct lead-in to the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series? Because that's how it felt. Like, if you want to keep watching these two bank robbers, tune in next week. Those two have never shown up again. What?! That's insane! Like, I thought that was the whole point of that little promo. I kind of wonder if that might have been the case, is that they were trying to do that, but the female bank robber ended up on that Masters of Sex show. It's Agent Blake, though, who was there, who has actually appeared in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and of course Sitwell has been in the actual movies. You know, does this just sustain you? I mean, to me, if you were starving and you came across this, it might pass the time for a couple seconds. I'll agree with you. They're fluff, and I hadn't watched either one until some listeners wrote in and went, hey, when you did Thor and Captain America, you reviewed those one-shots. Why didn't you review the one-shots for Avengers and Iron Man 3? Well, the blunt reason is they weren't out. We did a weekend of release, but I did go back and watch them for this, and they've changed. When we reviewed them, because they were on Thor and Captain America, they were spackle. They were smoothing out the bumps on the road to the Avengers movie when they had some casting things that didn't quite work out, Edward Norton, and some teasers that they did just to tease but realized that they went in a wrong direction. They used these one shots and Phil Coulson, Clark Gregg must work cheap, he is on TV, to fix that. But now they're basically pilots. This item 41, I think they were gauging response. If people seem to like it on the Blu-ray, they'd make it a weekly series, and they did. And then with Iron Man 3 that just came out on Blu-ray, they have an Agent Carter taking a minor character from Captain America, and now that they have the one-shot, they are seriously discussing an Agent Carter weekly TV series. Set in World <laughs> War II? Like, that, that's what blew my mind. If these are setting up TV shows, are we going to get Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 1947 or whatever year that was supposed to take place in? Hey, they did that with season one of Wonder Woman. That was World War II. Mm. Very different time in television. (laughs) I don't think they have enough here, but of course they can always make more. That's the point, is that she can meet new friends and there'll be new characters and just more and more and more.
anymore. They're piling it on. I get it. They're building a universe. It's it's universe crafting, and so it's not about being concise. I prefer concise stories. I'd like to focus on the characters that matter. I thought Avengers really tapped out and was a great juggling act of all that they could really encompass, and I don't really want to go beyond that. I really don't care what the extras are doing and want to see them on a YouTube video six months after the release of the movie. I just, no, don't care. Well, if you guys want to talk, as Stuart phrased it, characters who matter... Well, we are here for Thor. One of the Avengers is again back in theaters. And like you say, Stuart, every six months or at the very least twice a year, I think we're actually going to be a bit more rapid than every six months for the time being. I think they could be getting greedy here. I'm just going to put it out. I recognize you strike while the iron's hot. Marvel is wanting to not stop and just make Avengers movies. They're going to take all of those characters and keep making them in between here. But the stakes were raised after Avengers. And I didn't recommend Iron Man 3. And now we're here at probably a return to my least favorite area of the Marvel Universe. The one that I strongly disliked the story of, Thor. I mean, that did not work for me as a romance. I didn't think it was funny. The only thing the original Thor had going for it was I liked the world and I liked the actors. But no, that movie got a pretty strong not recommend from me, and it remains the worst of the official Marvel movies. Yeah, I think Thor is probably the hardest sell for people like you, Stuart, people that aren't involved with the comics. They're part mythology, part outer space. It's not grounded. You don't have the, you know, Tony Stark and just his attitude. And you don't have, you know, Captain America and his ties to history. And, you know, these different characters, you have an outer space guy. And I think that is a harder sell a lot of the time. And, you know, with that first film, they really tried to tie it to Earth. This time they went a different route for the most part, taking it back to a different realm. Stuart had said on that original Thor podcast that while you now say it's your least favorite Avenger, and I want to just put out there, I completely disagree with you with Worst Marvel Movie, and you can hear that review because I liked it, but for me, it is the hardest sell. Unlike you, Stuart, who likes Thor and Norse mythology and Asgard based off of the myth, I have no interest in this, and despite seeing movies like 300 and Wrath of the Titans and things, I'm not a swords and sandals fantasy kind of guy. It's just not my genre, and And of all the Phase 1 Marvel movies to come out, Thor was the one I looked forward to the least. Thor was the one that, if it didn't have the Marvel logo, I would not have seen. And it turns out, I really enjoyed it because of the comedy, the fish-out-of-water stuff. And I thought it had some really good action, and the actors did better than I'd expected. So, I was really excited for Thor 2, whereas I was trepidatious about Thor 1. I said that they'd proven to me, not to you guys, but to me, that they could make it work as a totally different tone of film. And you guys were saying they needed to go more Game of Thrones 300-like, and, well, I guess they listened to you. They got a Game of Thrones director here. Dark. It's a dark world now. Yeah. I know Games of Thrones is some big thing. Never watched it. I, I guess it has dragons and stuff, some fantasy world. Light. I, I've, I've seen a few episodes. I watched a little of the first season. Well done show. Don't want to immerse myself in all of the minutia of it. There's like nine different kingdoms. I'm like, oh, my head hurts. I can't do it. We got nine realms in Thor 2. 
Yeah, I, that's probably why he got the gig. He's, he, he's juggling the same amount on TV. But, uh, yeah, a professional-looking television show, a much higher caliber of show than you n- normally get on television. And, yeah, as I said, it's Alan Taylor, a television director who's done a lot of TV, especially the HBO Showtime-type stuff. Branagh didn't return. He claims it was his choice. He said that Thor just took too long to do and they wanted it too soon and he would rather had a break and done some lighter stuff in between. Like Jack Ryan? Okay, <laughs> whatever. You know what? I'm not going to dog Branagh, but he did not do a good job with Thor and I'm happy to see it fall under different creative control. This is why I'm optimistic. Even though Thor remains my least favorite of the official Marvel movies, I actually feel like, yeah, they might get this one writes. We're headed to a dark world with a director who's done this before in a good way, and new screenwriters to boot. I think Hemsworth proved in Avengers that he is a good actor and is fun and plays well when he has good material, so even though I did not like Thor a lot, I was not dreading this one. And I'm in a similar boat to you, Stuart. I didn't really like that one, but now, okay, we don't have that origin story we have to worry about. I'm watching these trailers, they're fighting some alien race going on, this is looking good. This is what I wanted. I wanted to see Thor get more medieval on his enemies' asses. I didn't feel that last one had enough action. We got one metal robot at the end. Now it looks like they're expanding this. We're going to get some big old battles going on. And Cat Denning's returning. I think that was my favorite thing about that first Thor film. So I was optimistic <laughs> going in. I'd say Loki was my favorite thing from the first, well, actually, returning to the Thor universe. I didn't like Loki in the first Thor film. But after Avengers, I'd say, yeah, Loki number one, Kat Denning number two, Portman number 892. (laughs) She tried to quit, you know. She had to almost be sued to return to the film. They were like, we have a contract. You will hold up to it. Hmm. Yeah, we saw how well that worked out in the Star Wars prequels when you held her to being to a film she didn't want to be in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why she makes these movies. Well, I do. I mean, and her accountant does, too. But I just, yeah, she doesn't excel in these kind of fantasy worlds here. I don't think you get her best performances. And uh, it's too bad, because I do like her as an actress. But no, her returning was a blight on it, because I knew it meant that they were not going to scrap the twilightish. A romantic fantasy tone that they had so prevalent in that first movie. And I was so excited for this. I actually went for the first time to one of the movie marathons that they did. I had to drive two hours each way to get there and saw Thor 1, The Avengers, and then Thor 2, The Dark World. With a hugely excited audience, but not a huge audience. There were about 20 of us. <laughs> it's a huge commitment, I think, for a Thursday. Uh, it'd have to be a bigger property than Thor, I think, for it to fill the seats. I came in at the tail end of one of those. I saw it at the El Capitan, which is a Disney-owned theater in Old Hollywood. They usually provide a whole series of entertainment around their properties. They had Stanley collectibles in the lobby, and they had a costume contest, and they had actors from the movie actually came out, Sif, and the intern. Was she wearing that 
Tress from the premiere? Oh, please say <laughs> yes, and please say you have picks. <laughs> I, I neither is true, but uh, she was looking great. She didn't have to say much for everyone to go. Oh, they say she's going to be Wonder Woman, and I think she is. That was what they were screaming in at the audience. That's she was like, "Hi guys, Wonder Woman! Hi, Wonder Woman!" <laughs> But yeah, it was not a full house. There was plenty of seats to be had, but a very enthusiastic audience. You know, I was surprised. I went to a regular 2D screening, but on a Thursday night, they had an 8 p.m. screening. I was surprised it was so early and not in 3D. They usually make you stay up to midnight if you want to pay for those cheaper 2D tickets. But no, I went on Thursday night, 8 p.m. You know, it wasn't a sold-out theater, but there were a whole lot of people there. Like, this is probably the most packed Thursday night showing I've been to for any theatrical release that we've done for now playing. I did go and see this in 2D afterwards as well, and I'm going to put this out there. I already posted it to Facebook. Whatever I say about this movie, if you see it, see it in 2D. I saw this at a nice theater in St. Louis in 3D. I saw Thor and Avengers first in 3D. Both looked great. This one looked dog shit in 3D. This one, the colors were gone. The depth is not used. There is no reason to see this post-conversion job in 3D. Alan Taylor said that he didn't even know until halfway through filming they were going to post-convert it, and then he continued to film the exact same way. It shows. This is not a 3D film. I saw it in 2D and had a much, much better viewing experience and a much larger audience because it wasn't an all-day marathon. (laughs) Funny thing about that was that I saw it in 3D with the audience midnight crowd, walked to my car and started driving before I realized I still had the real D glasses on. (laughs) It didn't even occur to me that anything that I had watched had been special in any way. It just never occurred to me that I watched the 3D movie, even though I clearly, I put on the glasses and it was gone. I had forgotten. So I agree. There's there's nothing that it does to enhance, which is too bad because it is such a splendorous world. You'd think that it would be really awe-inspiring, like Pandora in 3D, but it, it really isn't. Under Branagh's direction, it was. I thought the first Thor film looked so good in 3D, both in my home theater and again seeing it in movie theaters. But Dark World, see it in 2D. Save the money and see it as director envisioned it. Well then, Arnie, what did you see when you took the glasses off? Give him the plot. Long before the birth of light, there was darkness. And from the darkness came the Dark Elves. <laughs> there is no way I can not laugh at that. <laughs> Boy, that's going to keep you up at night, right? Elves from space with hockey masks and lasers? <laughs> oh, my God. Please go on. There was a lot of exposition at the beginning of this movie to set up everything, literally setting up the universe. Yep. So I have to, in order to make sense of a plot summary, kind of go into it. No, it's true. I thought we were going to Oa there for a minute. <laughs> Millennia ago, the most ruthless of their kind, Malkith, played by Christopher Eccleston, though you never know it, sought to transform our universe back into one of eternal night. Such evil was possible through the power of the Aether. It's an ancient force of infinite destruction. The Asgardians, led by Odin's father, King Bor, led battle against the elves, vanquishing them and confiscating the Aether. But the Aether could not be destroyed, so the Asgardians hid it and told everyone they destroyed it. So we flash forward to current day, and on Asgard, the Bifrost was restored, but Loki's plans have plunged many of the realms into chaos and war, and Thor and his warriors have spent years trying to restore the peace. 
While he battles by day, Thor mopes by night, missing Jane. Jane, meanwhile, is trying to move on, unsuccessfully attempting to re-enter the dating world. Living in London, Jane is also continuing her research of quantum physics when her assistant Darcy alerts her to strange phenomena occurring where items appear to teleport. Jane investigates and is herself teleported to the secret location where the ether was hid eons ago. The ether enters Jane's body and begins to have strange effects, creating minor energy bursts whenever anyone tries to touch Jane unwanted. Jane's travel to the location of ether alerts Asgard's watchman Heimdall, Idris Elba, to her absence, so Thor goes to Earth for the first time since the Battle of New York to check on his girlfriend. When he sees the symptoms, he takes Jane to Asgard to be investigated by their healers. And I just want to say, I called it an Avengers, goddammit, Crocodile Dundee 2! <laughs> I was thinking of you when they show up and, yeah, she's there in the Australia, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the dark energy summons the dark elves who invade Asgard and kill Thor's mother, Frigga, or Rene Russo, in an attempt to find Jane and the Aether. Odin is ready to go to war if it means the lives of every Asgardian, but Thor seems another plan to smuggle Jane out of Asgard, draw out the dark elves, and when dark elf leader Malketh extracts the Aether from Jane, Thor will destroy it. But to sneak out of Asgard, Thor needs the help of adopted frost giant brother Loki, again Tom Hiddleston, who has been in prison since his traitorous and warmongering acts. Thor helps Loki escape the prison, then Loki helps Thor and Jane escape Asgard, and their plot goes off, but the Aether cannot be destroyed. Malkith takes it into himself and Loki is killed. Now Malkith is waiting for the Nine Realms to align, something that only happens once every 5,000 years, so he can release the Aether and destroy all the realms, unmaking the galaxy. But Jane, with the help of Dr. Selvig, has developed some devices that can create new portals of their own, so a big battle takes place between Thor and Malkith across all nine realms, or at least the four they could afford to make, ending with Malkith dismembered and the Aether captured by Thor. But Thor returns to Odin and says he does not want the burden of the crown with all the moral compromises it entails, so he's leaving Asgard to be with Jane on Earth. And as Thor leaves, Odin is revealed to be Loki in disguise? And in an end credit scene that we will talk about, Sif and Volstagg take the ether to a being known as the Collector, played by Benicio Del Toro, for safekeeping as credits roll. So much to talk about with this movie that they have to talk about it themselves. It starts almost identically to the last movie, doesn't it? With Anthony Hopkins giving this huge narration about the Nine Realms and setting up basically a new Frost Giant. This time it's the Dark Elves, but I was getting so many echoes of the last movie. No, 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 no. I was getting echoes of Lord of the Rings. Come on, you have your big bad guy that has his magical power thing, and he's going to take over the world with it. I don't know why the Dark Elves want to take over the world, why they want to make it dark again. I guess they're vampires. I don't know. But they've got their magical thing, and then the good army comes and defeats them. But instead of destroying the evil, they just hide it away. Why they gotta be racist about it? Oh, they're not just elves, they're dark elves. Those people are white. What the hell are they talking about? Their hockey masks are white. (laughs) No, no. You know Dungeons and Dragons, Stuart. There are elves and there are dark elves. There are different races. 
I mean, even with Lord of the Rings, yeah, you have the orcs, and they are a version of these twisted dark elves, yes. Right. Again, I do sort of have a fantasy bias. It's it's not my favorite genre. There is something slightly amusing to me that these are the enemy, but I quickly forget that they're elves. They end up just kind of looking like Star Trek villains or something. Yeah, I got a real Star Trek vibe off of the ships that they fly around in. Later, I'll get a Star Wars vibe, but for these Dark Elves, I'm feeling Star Trek. Specifically, Star Trek Nemesis. Remember that movie, Stuart? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the one with Ron Perlman is what they looked like to yes, me. Yes, that is the exact movie I went to. And it didn't get me in this prologue. When the Dark Elves and the Asgardians are fighting, I'm just thinking, they've really upped their game with the CGI and the fights. They brought in a guy who'd done medieval fights on Game of Thrones. It's looking good here. I don't know who Boar is. I was shocked that there was a king before Odin. I just thought, you know, there was always Zeus. And while Zeus had a father, Kronos, it's not like Kronos had a father that I know of. Different mythology. Right. But I just took it as if Thor is Zeus, then Odin is Kronos and Odin didn't have a father. So that he has a father, Boar, that was a little shocking to me, but I was going with this. And when the Dark Elves have their ships that they crash into the ground in a suicide attempt to make it seem like they're all dead. I'm still not thinking it. It's not until millennia later when we see them waking up and that's when it hits me. These aren't just ships. They're spaceships and the spaceships have specific lighting and the way they sleep in a cryo sleep. It was just taking me back to those last couple Star Trek The Next Generation films. Really hardcore with its design and aesthetic. And I think this is where if you're not used to the Marvel Universe, maybe even you, Arnie, if you haven't read the comics, I mean a lot of Thor, especially the Malekith and these dark elves based off of Walt Simonson who did this epic run on Thor where a lot of stuff took place out in space. This doesn't feel like medieval fantasy as so much as it does now a space movie as are we going into a Star Wars realm with Thor? And having just watched Star Trek Into Darkness to now be in the dark world, it just felt like the same universe. Yeah, but I only felt that when they were in space. And they weren't in space that much, especially not here in the prologue. It isn't until they wake back up. And then, fortunately, they don't. I think it's the fact that they hide out in a space station, too, kind of hits it home. If they were somewhere hidden in the dark realm or wherever they live, the dark planet, I could have gone with it. But the way it is, I just was being taken back to Star Trek. And in this whole prologue, I'll say that there is one flaw, and this film never corrects it. And that is, I don't understand what the Dark Elves are attempting to accomplish and why they don't like the light. It's not like they're vampires where when the galaxy has light, they die. They just don't like change. They're fearful. Just want everything the way it's always been. That is a big problem for me. Is This is, okay, comic books, they so often get associated with little kids, but this is really little kid logic. Like, he's just bad guy. He wants to destroy the universe. Why can't they just all get along? <laughs> they never explain it. It doesn't matter. I think what we learn from the prologue truly is that there's an evil, ugly guy, and he's got to be stopped, and it doesn't get any denser than this. My question is, what's his relationship with the ether? I thought that they created it to have this happen, that it was the instrument by which everything goes dark, right? But it's a sentient being. It can do its own thing. I didn't think that they created it either. I think that they harnessed it. I think that in this dark time before there was... A 
nine realms and there was just blackness. The ether was there then. The ether will always be. The ether cannot be destroyed. They found a way to harness the ether. Yeah, I think if you actually go back to Socrates or Plato, like they, they thought everything was made up of fire, earth, water, and I think ether was this fourth property. It's There's something very ancient about this idea of the ether. Or you could just go back to Prometheus and see that they did the same thing there. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I really do feel like they're carpetbagging. This movie, more than any other one in the Marvel movie, just feels like an assembly of a ton of stuff I've seen before. I'm shocked at how little feels fresh. Even though Norse mythology has rarely been filmed, most of what they're putting up here are moments and scenes and imagery that we've seen in a hundred different sci-fi, fantasy, comic book movies. But it's a postmodern attitude that every story that can be told has been told. I just want it to be told in an entertaining way. I don't care if they're taking little threads and little art design that I've seen before and reusing it. If they're building something new with it. I did do a lot of research into this film after seeing it to try to figure some stuff out because I wanted to know, why do you get Christopher Eccleston to play this nothing of a character? He's unrecognizable under the makeup with the braids and everything. There are about 20 minutes that was cut from this film and replaced with other footage that we'll talk about. And it was more about Malkith and his motivations and his relationships. They talk about how he had a wife and kids who were killed by the Asgardians. And then Anthony Hopkins had a monologue discussing the ancient grievance between the Dark Elves and the Asgardians. A lot of character-related stuff got cut in exchange for jokes. Yeah, okay. That makes a lot more sense now. It does make sense, though, because, let's face it, we could spend 20 more minutes on why this guy is angry, but would it really help us? No, at the end of the day, he's a dark elf that wants to blow up everything. I think that the movie isn't much more sophisticated than that. I agree completely. When I read the director's descriptions of these scenes, and I'm betting they'll probably be on the Blu-ray when it comes out, it sounds like a whole bunch of talking heads and not a whole lot of showing us why this guy is bad. I don't necessarily think think it would have helped me. It would have helped me understand why, but it wouldn't have helped me to enjoy him as a character because in the end, he's still just completely stereotypical bad guy who has no gray area. Even if he had a wife and kids, I mean, his wife and kids were killed in a war because he was trying to unmake the galaxy. So <laughs> in the end, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Malk. Right. And you know what? I could go with this bad motivation as long as, I think you said it already, as long as this film's entertaining. So, okay, we got a pretty mediocre, pretty bland bad guy. Well, do something interesting somewhere else and I'm still with you with this film. I mean, this is coming after Avengers where the Chitari were some of bad villains themselves, right? I mean, Loki was good in that one, but we all said the Chitari weren't very good. So maybe Marvel thinks we make the hero story good enough. We just need a bad guy who cares how ill-defined. And I really did think back through all these Marvel films and yeah, I don't remember a lot of memorable bad guys with good motivations. They all seem very rote. Marvel has been, I think it's the opposite of what Nolan did with Batman, where Nolan did a great job with the villains, and, you know, especially Heath Ledger, and I think even Bane's real memorable. Marvel has excelled with the heroes and spotlighting them. As it should be. I mean, I'm anxious to, to get to the heroes here if they're not going to create an interesting scenario. If it's indeed about elves that want to turn off lights, then yeah, <laughs> let's bury it and let's go on. I question though they're like we can't destroy the ether so they put it in a big monolith and they they say they bury it 
In truth, they didn't even move it. They just kind of stuck it on the battlefield. It's in the cave. It's literally right where they left it. No, I thought it was buried in Asgard. That's some cavern in Asgard they teleported no, it to. No, it's not in Asgard. It, it may not be in Asgard, but they do teleport it because you see underneath it, you know, every time they use the Bifrost, it leaves that little maze pattern on the ground. Underneath the monolith is that pattern. They used the Bifrost to move a monolith to some location. I don't know what realm it's in, but they did move it. It's in the end of the movie. It's at this battlefield. It is at the Dark World. Thor and Jane will find where it was being held in a cave and walk right through back into Earth. That may not be the same area. They do find a cave where they walk to Earth, where the keys and the shoes were thrown, which we'll talk about. But the monolith isn't there. They never see a monolith. But it is there because when we get back to London, that is what she finds. Jane is pining for Thor, so all of her scientific developments are, of course, about finding out where he could land next. Poor girl. This is just so sad. And they wind up at this warehouse where, indeed, all this phenomena is happening. Little kids are making cement trucks spin around, and they're, yeah, doing the fun joke with dropping stuff down the stairwell and having it return above their heads. Sometimes sometimes it ends up in a cave, and this is the cave I'm presuming she walks into, or is blown into, and gets the goo on her. She goes through a different portal. She doesn't jump off the banister to see where the shoes are going. She's sucked into a hallway down some vortex thing. I'm not positive she's taken to the same place. I'm also not positive she's taken to a different place. I want to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, fair enough. I I think it would have helped if she would have woke up in that cavern if there was, you know, some shoes around her or something. It would have helped clarify that if that was going to all the same portal. Or if when she finds the keys in the shoes... She goes, oh, yeah, there's that monolith. We can put the ether back there when we're done. (laughs) But because we never see the keys and the monolith together, and there are these portals, let's establish the give me of the film, is that every 5,000 years, the nine realms align. And when that happens, we kind of merge with each other, and portals are created that allow us to travel from one to the other. So what you're meaning to tell me is that there are two doors in London, that London is just the hub for everything. There's eight doors in London. So the other eight realms. Yeah, and you see, I mean, they later on they explain that this alignment, it causes havoc all over the world. They do that whole thing where they're, you know, checking out Stonehenge and doing all these different coordinates of different monoliths that have no explanation, and they find out, yeah, the center is in Greenwich. Yeah, it's all a map that all the ancient cultures have been leading us to this one place in London. Okay, so that's why she walks to a different area. Yes. That's how I take it. It's unclear. What needs to be understood by the audience is you can travel to other realms. You don't need a Bifrost every 5,000 years. You can just walk into a portal. Why you have to throw things in one portal when this other one sucks Natalie Portman in? Unexplained. Why Natalie Portman looks at a giant stone monolith and goes, hey, there's a crack. Let me look into it. Unexplained. (laughs) Let me stick my hand in it. How scientific is that? There's like a Terminator 2 snake inside the thing. She's like, oh, I'll pet it. 
and this is why I thought it was in Asgard or something. I, I thought that it, there was something. It knew there was a link between her and Thor. Because why didn't that portal just suck one of those kids? They've been playing around this building all day. It's not until Portman goes looking. I, I felt like there should be a reason for her, but no. It- they have to make Portman important into this plot, or there's no reason to have her here. They've already had an adventure in New York where she was not brought along, and now they have to find a reason. It shouldn't be that hard. If she's a scientist that's playing around with astronomy, you should be able to have her work into a plot where she matters. But no, she just happens to accidentally get blown into another dimension and get the stuff that the Dark Elves need in order to destroy all the worlds, and so now it's a game of pass the chick around (laughs) as the elves try to get their oil back out of the chick. They really, really just take a crap on the character of Jane, don't they? Because she spends two years, it's been two years since Thor, two years, Kat Denning comes and says she's barely showered, she sits around and pines. (laughs) This is a genius PhD student who has ignored her science because Thor has seemingly dumped her. She is so irrelevant. Wasn't the whole setup for the end of Thor 1 is, I'm going to find a way to get back to my boyfriend. I'm going to find a way to fix that Bifrost. In Avengers, that's not settled. It's just that, oh, Odin had some black credits or something (laughs) stored up where he could transport Thor to Earth because he needed to be there. And here, well, they fixed the Bifrost. Don't need you, Jane. And I'm going to travel around the nine realms and not even let you know that it's been fixed. I did read the prequel comics for this movie. (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> and it is explained the Tesseract gave them the power to repair the Bifrost. So that's how that's back. But couldn't you have this exact same movie? But Jane is a genius scientist who is still searching for her boyfriend. Not quite the greatest motivation, but she has created a portal trying to go to Asgard and tears a rip in the fabric of reality that then makes the nine realms open to each other. So the Dark Elves wake up and go, hey, and in her experiments, she, not a bunch of random kids who I thought were extras from Attack the Block, find the portals and the ether explaining why the ether goes into her make it character driven and make it not happenstance that it just so happens to be jane but in fact her own experiments caused this plot to occur rather than happenstance wouldn't that just be a better fix to strengthen the character and the plot who knows if it wasn't the way again this was written by committee eight different screenwriters came in and out there's people that did story credit that aren't on the screenplay and then of course there's people that are even left out and don't get credit This was hashed out by many different minds, all who have done talented things. I'm not going to blame the screenwriter. I think we want to do. We're going to blame the committee that came up with this as the final product. Lots of blame to go around is what you're saying. Yeah, I do (laughs) feel like this story is very confusingly constructed and that I actually did see this movie twice because after my midnight screening, I woke up the next day, reread my notes. I usually jot things down as the movie's happening and I couldn't make sense of what I had seen. It was like I hadn't seen the movie at all. It was like I couldn't reconstruct the experience of watching it. I remembered what happened, but I couldn't remember how or why. It just felt like a dream and not a movie. And so I did go back to try and see if I could figure out the story. It is more clear this time, but there still is a lot of happenstance, a lot of coincidence, that it is Jane who just happened to get the one thing the Dark Elves need in order to destroy the universe, and that the thing won't come out of her, that it's not like that it wants to hide in her and will attack and blow up people if they try to grab her. All of this 
It's frustrating in how it's made. It could have been done much better. You're right, Arnie. With minimal adjustment, we could be much more engaged in this plot and like Jane a whole lot more than we're going to. And I like that you both saw this twice because I felt like I should have tried to see it a second time before reviewing it. And I didn't know if I just had missed things or, yeah, if, like, you guys are confirming, there's just a whole lot of happenstance. It's like this whole 5,000-year thing where these nine realms are aligning. I felt like they did a bit of a retcon, Arnie. You said you thought Odin was just the everlasting god in Norse mythology, I kind of had that sense, you know, every once in a while he gets real old and tired, he goes into his Odin sleep or his Odin nap, as we saw in that first Thor film, and then he wakes up refreshed. But here, they just say, oh yeah, we live like 5,000 years. It's like every cycle do they die, and that's why they need to hurry and get a new king on the throne. It feels like they're trying to go back and change the story a little bit. I didn't know if I was just missing things or if that's how it just really came off. They did use the 5,000 years one time too many by saying it's the lifespan of an Asgardian and how often the realm line. <laughs> you couldn't come up with a second number? There is revisionist history going on. We see in a very early scene, yes. With the introduction of Anthony Hopkins, we see Loki being brought into chains, and he is told that it was your birthright to die, that you were left to die by your people, and that I'm the one that saved you. Huh. That's not the way I remember it from Thor, but okay. It is the exact same thing. It's just, I think he's now realizing it's a mistake. <laughs> it's like, if- <laughs> no, they didn't leave that a child out to die. He raped and pillaged a village and then took a baby. No, no, no. When the Frost Giants waged their war, they had to invade Jotunheim to end the war, and in that battle, they left a baby to die. So Odin found the baby and saved its life. We have to stop the invasion by invading their homeland and taking the village where we killed everyone and taking the soul baby alive, and they left it behind. I get it. Oh, sure. Again, this is Thor. This is revisionist, but you know what? This needed it. Thor was a very bad script. I needed re-clarification. Now they're making it simple. Okay, this guy feels like he wanted the throne. That was never clear in the first Thor movie. In fact, he said the exact opposite. He did. (laughs) And now he is being denied the throne because his more popular younger brother is going to get it. Thor is on a goodwill mission to unite the nine things, and then he is going to sit in Hopkins' chair. I like the fact that I understand now what the relationships are, or I think I do, here at the beginning. Yeah, poor Chris Hemsworth. Isn't he always the less popular brother? I had no idea that Loki is more popular than Thor, but it was very clear from the crowd. Yes, they were hooting and hollering when when Chris Hemsworth shows off the beefcake and the shirtless obligatory scene, but the one that got all the catcalls, the one that got the won the contest for the costume, it's Loki. People are really into Hiddleston. Yeah, like I said, the one cosplayer at the viewing I went to, it was Loki. At the conventions, it's him that's leading the crowd on and getting them all riled up. He has become the star. Yeah, it's both on screen and off screen. I think on screen in Avengers, everybody realized how cool Loki was. He was so much better in Avengers than he ever was in the first Thor film. And walking out of Avengers, everybody had their favorite character. Loki was right there with Black Widow and Hulk as one that really rose to the top. 
And then off screen, Hiddleston has played the hell out of that. He showed up in Comic-Con in full dress garb for the crowd. Could you imagine Harrison Ford walking out in the Indy hat alone, let alone the entire whip and the whole nine yards? But Hiddleston does that. He comes out, he plays it up. So on screen and off, Hiddleston, I've said this many times on Marvelicious Toys, I'm looking forward to seeing Loki to the Dark World. Okay, interesting. It, as someone that has not gone back and watched the Avengers, since the theatrical one time I saw it. Loki is not a character that I really hang on. I just, I had no idea. It was a stunner to see his popularity. I, I had no anticipation. I don't even think the guy's good looking. Like, this pasty androgynous look is appealing, but yeah, it was. This crowd was into Loki. They ate him up. Every time he was on screen, they were into it. And it may be a problem with the movie that he's not in this much, that he spends most of it in jail, and yeah, we're, we're quote-unquote stuck with Thor. Yeah, many of the reshoots were adding more Loki scenes, if you can believe it. As little as he's in this movie, when they were going back and cutting the Malkith stuff, they were adding two characters, Loki and Darcy. Hey, that's that's making me happy. That, those are the ones I want to see. <laughs> but this movie is called Thor, and we haven't talked about Thor yet. <laughs> we start off, apparently, and I don't quite get this, the prequel comic explains it a little bit, but all the nine realms are in chaos with the loss of the Bifrost. I basically think it's like looting when the police can't come and get you. And so <laughs> yeah, is, is Asgard like America? Are they the universe police? And they've been ke- Yeah, but I think you're onto something. I, they, yes, Asgard rules over everything. Okay, that explains it. They couldn't get to the other nine realms until the bridge was repaired, and thus everything was chaotic. Yeah, I'm like, I don't remember there being a war. I remember a war being stopped at the end of Avengers. I wasn't anticipating that he was needing to go around and fight big stone monsters. I do like this intro, though. I think it's a great entrance for Hemsworth as Thor and the Warriors 3 and Sif. Everybody's kicking ass. It's a great fight scene. It's really exciting me. I think that they've done this kind of action so much better in Dark World than they did in Thor. All of the lightning effects with the hammer, all the swords. It wasn't in Thor. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot better than Thor. Thor had none of this. Honest to God, there was none of this. There was the scene where they invade Jotunheim. Yes, okay. Which was the best scene in the movie. But yes, this stuff is what should be in a Thor movie. If you're going to have a God of Thunder, you need to have this. I would say frequently. And yes, we finally have it. I think this is a credit to Taylor as a director. I think he got that more than Branagh. Yeah, I felt like the beginning of this film, it's slow to start. We get that whole romantic comedy scene with Jane on her date with yeah the guy from Bridesmaids. But this is the stuff I want to see in a Thor film. I didn't even get a sense that they were going from universe to universe, the nine realms, fighting these massive wars from this one scene, though. I, I thought this was just another place on Asgard. It wasn't until later they said, oh, they had to control the nine realms. I wish, you know, do it in montage style. Give me a sense of, you know, if he hasn't been able to find five minutes to go see Jane in two years, give me a sense of why this i like this battle i love the the humor of him just flipping that hammer up and smashing the rock monster and everyone just gives up i wish there was more of this show me thor i feel like thor works 
when he is kind of an arrogant asshole. I know that first film was him overcoming that, but I feel like when he's being that tough guy, that's when he's working. And because his story arc was he's not going to be arrogant anymore, you've taken that charm away from him. So I like these scenes where he is in battle and you do get to see that side of him. Yeah, he may not be as bullheaded as he was before, but that doesn't mean he still can't enjoy a good fight. I love when the rock monster comes up and he says, I accept your surrender and then takes it out. It is, again, just like the last movie when we saw Thor throw his hammer and Jacob and I loved it and Stuart rolled his eyes. Here, we are immediately seeing Thor as a fun presence on the battlefield. And it turns out, I thought last time they said it, this was in Anaheim. This that's, is actually... I read it. it will be! <laughs> that's where Disney World is, yes. This is actually Vanaheim. I, I actually thought that was his Disney joke, and then I realized, oh no, everything ends in Heim in the Norse mythology. This is also the place where the token Asian lives. It's established, the only thing that, that this character does at all is that he establishes that this is one of the nine realms, so that later in a very confusing climax where they're fighting in and out of worlds and we see him again, we know where he's at. We know that they've blasted into Vanaheim. Poor Hogan. Didn't you feel bad that they just left him there? He's like, I will come with you for the battle. Nah, you stay here. Don't worry about us. <laughs> well, the ones that get to come along don't do much more than that. I mean, the the Warriors 3 get a fight here, and Sif gets a little stink eye with Jane later, but for the most part, I don't think the supporting fighters are any better served than they were the first time around. Which is a shame. I, I think they do get more of a role to play in this film. I, I get more characterization from them. You know, there's the swashbuckling warrior three. We see him swinging around and, you know, we get more Sif. I, I wish, again, Thor, I don't know if I want to see him on Earth. I kind of want to see this outer space world that he lives in and more of this. I feel this is the right realm for him to be in. It said right to his face. Sif says, if you want to be king, you need to spend time on more than one world. And yeah, we've done Earth. Enough. I think that we need an in for the audience, and I also think all of the supporting characters get one moment to shine, except Hogan in this final cut. And it turns out, and how could they not see this coming? His moment to shine was here in the beginning. There was a lot more on Vanaheim establishing his character and that he's from here and that this all matters for him. And they just cut it down to a montage, and they considered this his big shining moment, like Sulu getting his own ship, Hogan was getting his own realm, but it was all cut. And so it really made me think it's more like Sif is one of the Warriors 3 instead of Sif and the Warriors 3. But this is the intro of Thor. And Stuart, when we did the first Thor review, you kept saying Twilight. You've already said Twilight this time in this review. And I didn't get that at all from Thor. I get it in Thor The Dark World. When Thor can't celebrate his victory, when Sif is offering to buy him a drink and probably a little bit more, and all he can do is go mope around with Heimdall and that wig that makes him look like a wet cocker spaniel, I'm getting <laughs> it's Edward. It's a bad way, I guess. I'm getting Edward from Twilight entirely. Even in the second Twilight film, it's when Edward and Bella are separated and they're trying to get back to each other the whole time yeah you know i got what Stuart was saying was that first film and i still think you know with these thor films they're going for the rom-com this is you know your big brawny actor yeah he gets the shirt off scene the bare chest the abs i i think this is the one they're going for and there were a lot of females there was a big female percentage in that audience when i saw this 
And I'm just going to say this. I think Thor is a bad boyfriend because they travel through these nine realms. Once they fix the Bifrost, it doesn't really take much. It's basically like a commute, isn't it? They go to the nine realms and then go home at night. It's like they're living in Jersey and working in Manhattan. He can stand around all the time and go, how's she doing, Heimdall? I miss her. Yeah, she. he's moping around at a party. Well, we'll go spend that 20 minutes moping around to go visit her. Yeah, why doesn't he go there? It is stupid. Yeah, here's the thing. It is not a problem that Thor wants to tell a love story. I'm fine with that. Superman had Lois Lane. There, It's expected in the superhero genre that there's a Mary Jane, that there is a girl that matters. It should. It should matter. There should be a love interest for Thor. That is not a problem for me. The problem is the excessive amount of time it's spent on moping. I don't see what conflict is holding them back. My confusion was, at the end of Thor, I thought he couldn't get back to her, and then it was sort of kind of fixed in the Avengers, when he finally does get back to her, the excuse is so bad, I can't believe she buys it. He's like, I had to fight worlds, and I'm a fool, and... I had to work, baby! I was working late! Isn't that what you say when you're cheating on your wife? Oh, we had a late meeting. (laughs) Right. No, he is a terrible boyfriend. Later, he will use her as bait. He is a bad, bad boyfriend. And that he spends so much time sulking and not actually with her, it's a problem with this script. They can't justify to me why these two can't get together anymore. If there's no physical impairment to them getting together, it should be no problem. Okay, Anthony Hopkins doesn't like it. He goes back, he gets Jane, she's got infected with the oil, so they're going to treat her at Asgard, and Odin doesn't like it. Calls her a goat. Yeah, but he's stepping down. What I don't get is, in the beginning of this movie, Anthony Hopkins says, you're going to take my place, you're going to do this, you're ready for this, and then spends the rest of the movie talking down all of Thor's choices. He won't respect him, and he's not getting off the chair. I think Hopkins is a real downer in both Thor movies. I like him as an actor, he's got great screen presence, he should rock his Odin, but he's one of the worst things about the movie. His first intro scene, when he gets that first scene with Thor, at the beginning of this film. I I was wondering if that was like an outtake, like they were just running through their lines to practice. Like, it it seems so flat. He picks it up later on, but yeah, this Odin, it seems like there should be something grandiose. This seems like a grumpy old man that doesn't want that eye patch glued to his eye for filming. I agree that he wasn't very good in this one. I really liked him in the last one, although he slept for half the movie. (laughs) I was about to say, when he wasn't (laughs) napping. Yeah, he was great. But in this one... I really get that this isn't just going for a female audience. This is going for that Twilight teen female audience. These are two kids who have to get their parents' approval. The fact that Thor is the crown prince and about to be king, it doesn't matter because he needs to introduce his girlfriend to his parents and his dad doesn't like his girlfriend and his dad doesn't like his choices. This is a step away from Varsity Blues territory. (laughs) It is. It's a teen movie. It makes it feel like, yeah, Thor is 17 and just got the car keys, but they're not giving him the car quite yet until he does what they say. It is puzzling. It's unfortunate. It doesn't serve Hopkins very well. Hopkins is speaking out of both sides of his Odin mouth. He's like, you've done well. Everybody respects you. Everything you say is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's true. Arnie, were there scenes cut out with Sif? Because I felt like once we get to Asgard, yeah, we got Jane. She's trying to get along with the parents. I also felt like there was supposed to be more tension with Sif. Like there was supposed to be a love triangle. Sif throws all these glances. You know, when we get to the funeral, she's kind of looking at Jane like, oh, you brought this on. You're, you're a bad person. Like I felt like there should have been more tension there with Sif and Thor and Jane. It never really materializes besides a few glances. Other than, I mean, the fact that everything was trimmed, I don't think they cut a whole lot. Jamie Alexander, though, does so much. There's that scene where she's sent to get Jane, and she does this. It's a fraction of a second eye movement of, like, checking her out and this facial expression of, you ain't all that. And I'm not one to, you know, ship characters, but I'm totally shipping for Sif and Thor. I actually looked this oh, up. Yeah. They're married in Norse mythology. I wish they'd go that place in the movies. Imagine how much better this would be. If you're going to go a teen movie anyway, have it be a love triangle. Sif is so much cooler, so much more powerful a character. She kicks ass in that armor in that opening scene. I'm totally thinking Sif is the better choice. Hopkins thinks Sif is the better choice. I'm with Hopkins. Yeah, but you're pretty anti-Portman. And you know what? There's nothing here to dispute that, unfortunately. I have no grounds to say, hey, but Portman's cool, too. She's pretty, but you're right. Sif has pretty and everything else going for it. It's a strange conflict. Maybe Sif doesn't know what a molecular remover thing is. We get that little quip. <laughs> I do love, though, Jamie Alexander. If the directors and writers didn't put it there, Jamie Alexander's putting it there because every time she shares a scene with Portman, you could just feel disgust oozing off of her. Maybe the actresses don't like each other. Actresses can be catty, <laughs> but it's coming through. She recognizes it as competition. It's someone that's sizing up someone as, so you're better than me. It's very clear that Sif is the other person in the wings waiting for Thor to pay attention to her. Yeah, and just like Pretty in Pink, we're totally rooting for this ducky. Because these are these are my comparatives in the first hour of this film. I'm going to John Hughes. I'm going to Twilight. I'm just going to put it out there. The first 45 minutes of this film is unforgivably awful. Until the Dark Elves finally invade Asgard. This movie is poor. There is nothing dragging me in. I'm glad you recognize that, Arnie, because that's what I was thinking, and I thought you'd give me hell for saying that, but yeah, until something blows up good, I am bored as hell in this film. Darcy's jokes aren't hitting with me. The dating scenes aren't hitting with me. When Portman goes to Asgard, because Portman didn't want to, her exact quote in multiple interviews is, play valley girl around a Shakespeare troupe. They wanted to de-emphasize that kind of fish-out-of-water humor. And so what they're left with is this dour, mopey romance, and I'm feeling the energy sucked out of this film. I'm feeling the energy sucked out of me for watching this film. There's nothing going on. I'll agree with that much. It is sort of flat. I'm not disliking it. I'm wondering what's going to happen here. The thing is washing over me and leaving me with nothing. That's why I saw it twice. I couldn't remember what about this opening we were supposed to feel. Stakes is really the problem here. Okay, she's infected with this oil, but it's not killing her. It's going to, though. Odin drops that line. But yeah, exactly. That's my point. They're saying, oh my god, it's terrible. We don't know how to get it out of you. If anyone grabs you, they're going to, you know, get blown back. You're a weapon waiting to explode. I'm thinking extremists, right? Like, this is going to be an extremist plot. But no, she's fine, other than her eyes turning black every now and then. I, I She faints once or twice. But I'm not seeing that her life is really in peril here. That's 
that's a mistake. Artie, you'll get this. I, I really thought they were going for a Venom or Carnage type vibe with this oil taking her over, and I thought they might go there where she actually becomes the villain for part of the film. You want to know what I was going back to both times I watched this movie, and it's never a good thing? Remember La Madra, the blood god from Blade? <laughs> I mean, the way the ether looks, that red swirly bit. It's better CGI. Barely. The fact that it gets in you, the fact that it turns your eyes red, I was totally La Madre-ing this whole thing. If they weren't trying to sell this as a romance, she would be the phoenix from X-Men, right? She would be causing these huge problems, and she would be the villain that Thor would have to fight. But because he hasn't been around her, and, and that to reintroduce these two lovers as battlers and no kissing is going to displease a big section of this intended audience, they throw out all the tension. They want to have all these scenes where they're holding hands and kissing. Okay, other people can't grab you but i can and seeing how most people reacted to x-men 3 the last stand maybe that was a good thing or a lot of people didn't like that film with dark phoenix and how that all went but i would have gone with it because in we all agreed in the last film jane was pretty extraneous to the plot she is a stander by here She's the MacGuffin. The character still is completely unimportant. She falls into the ether sleep for a good half hour of the movie. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's her getting ill. I took it initially she passed out because of maneuvers Thor was doing. But she's literally passed out for a half hour of this film. And her character still feels incidental. If you did make her an unintentional villain, a damsel in distress, and a danger, then I might have gone with it far, far more. Yeah, I can't defend what they did with Portman here. She's not well utilized, again. But this movie really does pick up when the Dark Elves decide to invade Asgard. And they start by doing this by having Algrim, who is like the second-in-command Dark Elf, put on a mask and... Darth Vader. Let's just call it what it is. There's the Emperor and there's Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets captured during one of Asgard's policing of a different realm. Totally off screen, I want to point out. Very confusing upon first watch. Did he, like, you know, just jump through the stream, the rainbow stream, and sneak in with them? How did this happen? It was very confusing. That, that was. It felt cheap, but it told me what I needed to know, and I don't want this movie to be longer. <laughs> and I bet you these are cut scenes. All these things about why did this happen, they're probably answered on scenes that drag this movie to two and a half hours lengths and tested poorly, so it's better to, to cut to the chase. I mean, that's where that term comes from. Let's cut all the blah, blah, blah. He put on a helmet. He got captured. Also, he could be in a, the prison. And then, what do they call it? Curse out? He's got this sort of like egg cracker that turns him into this smoldering beast. The character's name he becomes is Curse. And he is from the comic. And I just want to give some serious props for the character design here. I love the way Curse looks. Yeah. I love the horns. I love the fact that it is 90% practical. That actor is the same actor as Algrim and Curse. And he is in a practical suit that is every bit as convincing or more than CGI that doesn't have reality. Curse starts bringing me back in. I'm like, okay, they've got something interesting on screen now. Far more interesting than the elves were with their little masks from Eyes Wide Shut. 
I kind of like that. It get, you know, made him kind of creepy. But yeah, with Curse, I got lost just looking at him. Like, you know, when he activates this weird cinder thing and he starts on fire, metamorphosizes, you know, he looks like he's this burned character. You look at the helmet and the, the texture on it. You can really see all those little details. Yeah, it's a cool design. They set it up in the beginning. It was in the opening battle as well. He is the last one of these. I don't know why. Maybe they only had so many eggs. I took it as a bloodline. Okay, but he's only this because he does the thing with the egg, right? I keep calling it an egg. I have no idea what it is. There's a sphere in his hand that he smashes. He's steroiding out. I mean, it, it, he gets big because he ingests something. Yeah, the way I read it, and it's just try- me interpreting the dialogue, is that certain people were the accursed. And they were the ones who could take this stone and turn into this beast. And it's made to seem like a sacrifice. If I was one of the occurs, I'd be like, give me the stone. I become this invincible, powerful beast. I mean, maybe he has a harder time getting a date on Saturday because he's hideous, but he seems to really have an upgrade go on here. He seems like a credible foe against Thor. I mean, I think that's always been a problem. Thor is so powerful. The only thing they could send that was any kind of threat at all was a robot last time. Uh, This guy is comparable to the robot. He's better than the robot. I agree. I like the design. I like who he is. I like the way he's introduced. That he snuck here into the Asgard prison and is now going to, from the inside, tear down the shield and allow them to invade. This is all good. I agree. He works as a Darth Vader. Why does he leave Loki in the cell? He lets everybody else out, but he comes to Loki and just kind of looks at him and is like, eh, you can stay. I like that. I like the sense that he was even afraid of Loki. He knew he was up to no good. I I like that little scene, and then Loki helps him. Yeah, nobody can go into that. That is just foreboding that you could go into Loki's cell. Even when the mom, who has some sympathy for her child, goes, she goes as a hologram. That no one is allowed inside that cell with Loki. This is where they establish uh, the idea that he is an enemy of the Asgardian. That, you know, because Cursed sees him in the cell, and because he tips him off as to what stairwell to use, it allows for them to hatch the plot they're going to at the end, the trick that they play. Does this act of telling Curse to take the left stairs, does this make Loki at least partially responsible for Frigga's death? I would imagine so, yeah. That was my interpretation of it. Yeah, I think Loki, I think he always does have some kind of familial love for his adopted family. I, I think it's deep down in there, and you see it come out the most with his mother. Well, in this movie, not the last one. Okay, I'm just talking about this movie. But what consumes him deep down is that he wants to rule and be in power, so that always is going to trump those other emotions he has. It, it's kind of a, a tragic character that he loves his family, but he loves something else much more and is willing to sacrifice them. I, I think maybe part of the reason people gravitate to Loki, not just because Hiddleston has so much fun with them, is that this is the one with the pathos. This is the one with the depth. I'd never get really a feeling for Thor. I don't really care about him one way or the other. Loki, he's got a lot of issues going on. It's He's an interesting character. And I do like the scene with him and Frigga where she is visiting him. You find out seconds later, she's not really there. What I do like is they establish this time something I'd never gotten before. And that's Thor is Odin's son. He takes after his dad. You know how kids usually genetically and personality-wise take after one parent or the other. Thor is Odin's son. Loki is Lafi's son, but he's really a mama's boy because he learned his magic from Frigga. I never got, I didn't read the comics, I never got that Frigga was an illusionist. 
And Loki, that's where he learned his tricks, was from Mom. And here they establish she can do those tricks as well. That would be better if they had actually established Frigga and Odin. But, of course, they have been very peripheral characters. Anthony Hopkins has largely been here to chastise his children. And she, I don't know, she brings an urn or something every now and then. I mean, she's one step better than being an extra, I think. They they try to make amends here by giving her a, a big you know, knife fight death, but I wish that they had given Rene Russo more of a part. And I really come over to Rene Russo's side because of that scene with Loki. I feel like she's the more nurturing of the two. I I think we could all agree Odin's not that great of a father. But yeah, she kicks a whole lot more ass than we ever see Odin do. What did he do in that last film? He slept for most of it. Here, she's taking on Malekith. She's taking on the main bad guy, and she's holding her own for most of it. I wish they would have killed Odin off instead of her. When they killed her off, I'm like, oh, that's a shame. That's the wrong one to kill. I want to see more of her. Well, they do kill Odin off, but we'll get there. Not yet. Well, maybe. We will get there. But when this happens, I was so happy because I didn't see it coming. I honestly have thought at this point, if you're a character in a Marvel movie, especially a good person, you have this aura of protection around you. You are not going to have harm come to you. That they will kill Frigga shows me this is going to have actual stakes. And so I'm, again, liking this. I'm liking this entire invasion. It it raises some logistic questions that are very geeky, like if Asgardians have these big laser weapons, why do they fight with swords? But I'm more confused by the fact that these elves are doing this now. If they had this kind of might, if they could so easily defeat Asgardians, why couldn't they do it back at the other battle? That's what doesn't really make any sense. Why did Boar win 5,000 years ago if they have this kind of might with one ship? You know, they had so many more that they self-destructed with one ship that they're able to penetrate and do this much damage. It establishes the elves as far more powerful than they should be. And they've been asleep for millennia. It's not like they've been off developing these kick-ass grenades and everything, but millennia ago, they had this technology, and Boar beat them, and then... Now, as Guardians have upgraded their tech and the Dark Elves come back with the same tricks they had before and win so handily? It is something you have to give the movie. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm giving the movie a lot at this point. I am, because it is a mishmash, yeah. But again, it's it's not like I'm disliking it for the plot. I think it's an advantage that it's so hard to follow, is that you're not drawing these conclusions about how badly it's plotted. You're, you're trying too hard to figure it out to notice that it's not very good with its answers. But yeah, this battle's worthwhile. I agree. It, it reinvigorates the movie. It does kill off a character. It's the kind of thing they would do on Game of Thrones. They would take a major character, kill them off in a spectacular way, give a new purpose. This was the right thing to do at this moment in the movie. We're wondering what happens next. You say the first half is bad. Arnie, this is where I think the movie actually gets worse. Oh, I love the movie from this point on for at least 45 minutes. I I like the film during this battle. For its fights? Sure. But for its plotting? No. Oh, I really like what happens next. So, Frigg is dead. And Thor comes in a second too late. And I did have a question why that one stab killed Frigga when we've seen Thor take so much worse and live. Her as guardian female so delicate, but she's dead. Thor sees it and uses that lightning to scar Malkith. And I love that that killing of the Asgardian queen comes with a price. He burns half his face to Scar, and Thor is ready to kill them. They barely escape with their lives from Thor. I love his 
rage. I love the funeral scene where she's going to Valhalla and they have the Viking funeral. All of this is gorgeous. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You love this? Yes, I am so into this. This funeral scene, as much as I was rooting for Frigga and I wish it was Odin that died, that scene goes on way too long. Was this because this is this where the 3D f- effects were? We see all these arrows coming out the screen on fire and this ship flies off the edge of the Asgard. And I'm going to make this as blunt as I can, Jacob. No 3D. No 3D. <laughs> so they stopped this film for no reason. This scene should have been 10 seconds long. We get the funeral scene. We know they're all sad and move on. This really kills it after this intense action scene to just stop it for so long. It's not so long, but I hear what you're saying. It's so weird to devote this much screen time to her. She gets longer for a death scene than she ever did in the movie. I mean, that's what's weird is that, wow, you're really treating Frigga like she was this amazing presence when, in fact, she was never in the first movie. And in this one has largely, yeah, been with the character that's still locked up downstairs. Loki's not even at the funeral. He's tearing up his jail cell. They did this in Avengers with the way that they killed Coulson. It brought everyone together. It gave focus. The group was apart, and now it gave them focus. Her death actually starts a rift for reasons I can't even understand. Now Anthony Hopkins doesn't want Thor to lead anymore and would prefer to sit back and wait for the people that killed his wife to come back and kill everyone else than to go after and pursue them. What Thor says is that his dad is blinded by rage over the loss of his wife. And I can see this as two different things. It did take me again the second watching to fully see Odin's side of it. But Odin's side is this ether is so dangerous, we must protect it at all costs. And he is willing to spend the lives of every Asgardian to protect the ether. Because if Malkith gets the ether, everyone in every realm will die. Thor wants to try to take a slightly riskier proposition, and it's again Thor's ego making this argument. He is so confident that he can defeat Malkith and destroy the Aether that he's willing to use Jane as bait, and Thor's benefit to all of this is it saves the lives of tens of thousands of his guardians, because then the Dark Elves won't come back with their superior technology and kill tons of people. So, both arguments have validity when you look at it that way. No, they don't. They do. No, because Hopkins, if he wanted to protect her, would move her to a place where there was a force field. They have made it very clear. Heimdall comes to him. We have no way to protect. I don't even need to stand at my post anymore because we are defenseless here. To keep her in a defenseless position is stupid. And to be blinded by rage means you go after an enemy without thinking it through. He's not blinded by rage. He just wants another nap. He is a bad character. No, I think both of their arguments make sense. I think both are tactically accurate. It's not about the accuracy of the tactic. It's how they present it to the audience. One, they they make up this ridiculous claim by Heimdall that they're not going to be able to see him. They're invisible. Well, during the battle, we saw him run up and attack an invisible ship. That was Heimdall's big moment this movie, by the way. (laughs) Yes. Yes. He took it down with a knife. <laughs> it was a cool moment, but what? what did, did he smell it? I- you know what? I thought that was a 3D bad artifacting. We see Heimdall on the bridge, and I see something on the screen. And I'm like, are my 3D glasses screwed up? Do I have something in my eye? And it was a cloaked ship. But but in the 3D, I couldn't even tell if it was supposed to be there or if something had really <laughs> broken. <laughs> So when it was finally revealed it was a ship, I'm like, Phew. So it seems that the party of scriptwriters came up with an excuse 
for waiting around for this attack would seem like a really bad idea because now all of a sudden they're invisible and the guy who could see everything who saw them originally can't see them anymore. And then the way that Odin presents his case, it's the way they present the arguments. They do not want you to side with Odin in this film. They don't want you to think he has a good idea. But now we have a completely terrible conflict with Asgard against Asgard as Thor breaks Loki out and Heimdall is or isn't a traitor. I can't tell. And they do all of this muckety-muck where Odin is trying to blow up his own son's ship as they try to escape. I mean, this is just bad. This scene got the biggest cheer from the crowd, not because of the action, not because it's well plotted, not because it makes sense, but because of Loki and because of the cameo. Yes, everything that happens next is wonderful. Now, have you guys seen the A-Team movie? Yes. That movie has this wonderful conceit of telling you a plan as it happens. It's what we see here. It was the four guys sitting around saying their plan as you see it happen. They take that straight out of A-Team and use it here to great effect. You've got- No, 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 no. To less effect because this plan's just not as exciting. It is lesser than A-Team, but it's great in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) If it's lesser than A-Team, that's a problem. It's funny to me that A-Team is your comparative for the greatness. (laughs) Here is where everybody gets their moment to shine. Volstag and Sif and... Chuck, Zachary, Levi as the new Fandral all get their moment, which is far more than they got last time when they were called Jackie Chan and Xena. And they Loki coming back just gives this movie energy. It was completely lacking the first hour of the film. It is at the one hour mark that Loki is broken out of his cell. And Loki, I made jokes coming in that I wanted Loki to this proves why. Loki is only in this film for 30 minutes, and it is a spectacular 30 minutes. And yeah, that cameo is hysterical when he's shape-shifting. All the shape-shifting is funny, but when he turns himself into Captain America, and he's like, this suit's so tight, I can feel the righteousness. The fact that that is when the crowd broke out. They don't want a Thor film. They want to see the crowd come back together. They want Avengers 2. That's the only reason why they're putting up with this film, is to spend the time away until we get that sequel to the Avengers. Well, we're all biding our time for that. That is obviously the reward for getting through Iron Man 3 and Thor 2. But obviously they want the journey to be fun. I don't think that this is supposed to be misery here. And I agree. This is, both times I saw it, this is the biggest laugh in the movie, the uh, Chris Evans cameo. It is the best joke of this whole film. It is the best brief moment of this whole film. But the next half hour with Thor and Loki together again, it works because Malekith is a bad villain. He's trying to destroy the world. Who hum? There's nothing personal there. You get Thor and Loki together. These are brothers. It's what made the end battle of Thor 1 matter to me as brother against brother. It's something they played on very well in Avengers. And here, when you've got these two antagonizing and Loki... With all his great lines. I mean, Thor's like, mother wouldn't want to see us fight. Well, she wouldn't exactly be surprised. And that's the problem, is that Loki is so great that Thor, he seems boring. He's uncharismatic here. They don't give Thor anything to do. He doesn't stand up as far as wit or charm or anything with Loki in the film. No, when you are standing in Tom Hiddleston's shadow so much, you do look less heroic. And Hemsworth, as written, or perhaps his own ability, cannot be as fun as Loki. And I don't know why you'd let Thor pilot a ship either. He looks like if you need something lifted, Thor's your man. If you need a ship piloted... Because he could fly! (laughs) That's like saying a person in a wheelchair is a really good driver because they have wheels connected to them. (laughs) 
I don't know why they think a ship that crashed into a building would be ready to fly, even if he could find the right button. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> and Loki pretty much narrates that as they're escaping. This was a really bad plan. It's really obvious. It doesn't work. Even when they get to the sneak ship, there's more lasers to come here. It's exciting, I suppose, the way it's filmed. I get that Loki is fun for a lot of people. I still don't think he's great, but I get that he brings an energy that this movie didn't have. But I do feel like Asgard against Asgard as to what's the best way to get Jane killed is bad. I'll only agree that I think Odin goes a little too far going, all right, I'm going to kill my own son now. But Yeah, a little. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, terribly. Like, out of character stupid. But who notices because it's an exciting chase. I like that they all get their moment. I like that this is the single ensemble scene of the movie. And it's just such a relief to have a fun presence on screen in the form of Loki. They really needed Whedon here to give more of a moment. You're saying a moment. A moment literally might be ten seconds here. Sif breaks Jane out, and who's his face swings on a rope, and the fat one holds some of the guards back until they can fly away. But to me, that's not crowd-cheering moments. I don't think this breakout scene was that great. I guess it was a little bit exciting when they're flying around on their sand skiffs from Star Wars shooting at each other. But here's another plot convenience. There is a magic portal in a cave that Loki knows about. So this doesn't even have to do with the 5,000-year convergence, does it? This is just some weird riff that Loki has always known about and has been able to go in and out of to cause problems in other worlds in the past. Well, I like that they brought back that Loki in the last movie. I mean, I did just watch the marathon. I did just see Thor again. And it was a big question. How was Loki able to get in and out without the Bifrost? And here, Loki does say to Thor, if it was easy, everyone would do it. It seems pretty easy. You just go in a crack. (laughs) Yeah. It might not be easy if you're doing it at high speed, but what if you walk? It's not like you have to be at 88 miles an hour, or at least it's not set up that way. It's a contrivance after a string of them, yes. I don't think any of us are going to argue at the end of this, even if we recommend it or not, that it's because of this wonderfully tight script. I'm wondering when it's going to matter, I think is my attitude towards this. I see a lot of light and flurry, and unlike you guys, I think Hemsworth is fun. I do think that he's a good actor, and I'm enjoying him on screen. Jane has lost some charisma points here, but it needs to justify itself in the climax, I guess, because I'm kind of indifferent. This next part continues to shock me. When they get to, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Dark Elf Realm, it looks like they took away all the vowels. (laughs) I gotta say, is this the Dark World, just this place with black sand? Yeah. You name your film after the Dark World, it's kind of boring. It's not very dark, it's kind of dunish. It's dim. Yeah, it's dunish. They get there, and there's all this stuff going back and forth. I like the interplay between Thor and Loki a lot. I like that Natalie Portman isn't speaking a lot. And <laughs> I think that might be true of any movie she's in. I don't know what she did to your Star Wars to make you hate her so much, but I don't think it's her fault. When they finally meet up with Malkith and curse, the plan they have... I figured it out, but for a brief moment, it shocked the hell out of me that as soon as Loki's given a dagger, he's like, you never should have trusted me, stabs Thor and cuts off his hand. Very Empire Strikes Back. So much Star Wars here. (laughs) You know, I knew this was the plan. I've seen enough movies to know that those two talk to each other, so no one else is going to know what the real plan is. I did get that half a second of shock when Thor's hand was chopped off. 
I think because I, I confused him with Aquaman in the 90s, Aquaman <laughs> had his hand chopped off. And I'm like, oh, they're going to put the hook on it. I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, no. Different character. I did too. It's the beard. <laughs> yes. But I'm like, oh, they spent so much time showing us that Loki can shapeshift and he could change the surroundings around him. You know, we get that shot after his mother dies where you think the cell is all clean and then that dissolves and he's they're just looking ragged. I knew what was going on. There was no suspense for me. I guess the suspense was, how are they going to destroy the undestroyable ether oh they're gonna try to electrocute it okay yeah that <laughs> it, it does show thor is muscle not brain yeah he's not very smart his plans aren't very smart he succeeds in half of it he wanted it out of his girlfriend and in that it happens i mean duh you bring it to the person that wants it he takes it out okay that he thought he could zap it with lightning and that would do anything it seems weird that malkith gets it. I mean, this seems like the point in the plot where Loki, yeah, he went along with the stupid plot. He would have known it was stupid because he would then steal the ether to try to take over the Nine Realm. Would have been a nice twist, but I'm back at La Madra. If... <laughs> That's a bad place to go! It really yeah. is, but if Steven Dorff could get La Madra, then Christopher Eccleston can get the ether, and it's upping the stakes. And so I was going with it, and I was glad it was a ruse. I kind of wondered with the cutting off of the hand what they do. I'm like, is he going to get a robot hand? Uh, he could get a gauntlet like Ash from Army of Darkness. But for once, I didn't know where this movie was taking. It's taking you to Earth. And I then like this curse battle. Curse is so tough that he can take on Thor and just smash him and smash him. I did like to see Loki actually do some fighting, too. We haven't seen that since, I think, the very beginning of Avengers when he took out the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. In the meantime, well, I guess he did a little at the opera, but mostly he was picked up by Hulk and smashed. Here, he actually, with his little dagger, takes out a bunch of Dark Elves and saves Thor's ass. Yep, making Loki a better character than Thor, making me want to see a Loki film more than I want to see this one. There's a lot of, like... I'll save you. No, I'll save you. No, I'll save you. <laughs> I mean, going on. But yes, at the end of the day, Loki stabs a spear through Darth Vader, and Darth <laughs> Vader gives him a hug, which impales him. He falls over to die, and then says, take this monster and throws some bomb from somewhere. What What was he that? He pulled the pin on the grenade. <laughs> this, this is raising Arizona. Okay. But they fooled me. They killed Frigga, and I thought they killed Loki. And I was very sad because I love Tom Hiddleston. But from a storytelling standpoint, I'm like, his story is done, right? You had his fall. You had his being prime evil or at least second in command to Thanos. And now you've had his redemption. And how many more times can we have him play these beats? His story is good as done to me. And it is sad to kill him, but like Coulson, perhaps it was the best choice for the character. So I truthfully believed, like Frigga, he was dead. Not only that, but there had been talk about how they didn't want to use Loki as a villain anymore. I can see why you'd think that until they cut back to the Dunes later. Yeah, it's only two minutes that I think it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some other character I didn't even recognize. Is he just a generic Asgardian? Yeah, we see Loki turn into a generic Asgardian when they're doing that scene walking through the hallway where he's doing all his shape-shifting. Okay, because it was very clear, once you cut back there, that that's who that guy is, because we'd never seen him before, and how would he get there? And Not just that, 
but they do the green illusion effect for a fraction of a second. I caught it the first time. It's like, I, they shouldn't have done that. They, they showed their hand way too much. I think it would have been obvious anyway. I mean, I, at the end of the day, Loki is the trickster. He's taken on all these different forms that he goes to Anthony Hopkins. They telegraph it. If they were cutting scenes, I would have cut that scene between Anonymous Guy and Odin. Yeah, I, th- I was never fooled for a second. I thought it was weird when there was a random Asgardian all of a sudden in the dark world. And then to fool us, we're supposed to believe that, oh, no, Odin, who really does care about his son all of a sudden, sent out these search parties to find him to all nine realms. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The only conclusion, unless you're five, is that this is local. Yeah, the audience wasn't following for it. I think in the moment where he gets stabbed and said, I didn't do it for father, everyone was like, oh! And then the next minute, you know, then I heard popcorn crunching. People were eating again, and they were like, ah, we know this is <laughs> fine. But I don't take it that he did it for Thor. I take it that he did it for Frigga. It was all for Frigga. He killed the man who killed his mother. It's poetic. Yeah, it could be. Although I do think that we see here, no matter what Loki wants to say, that he has some kind of respect for his stupid brother. They don't like each other, but there's the camaraderie, too. And I do think it's the strongest relationship. Stronger than Jane and Thor is the relationship between Loki and Thor. And You guys did see the Chinese poster, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's made all the rounds on, yeah, Facebook and the internet today. What happened? Did, Did someone just Photoshop something badly? Somebody photoshopped it online and the Chinese were just looking for an image to make their poster and grabbed one of Thor holding Loki in a loving embrace. And I agree with you. I would rather see that movie than any more with Jane. Disney doesn't send out (laughs) promotional material to China. Like, that's a big market for them now. Maybe it's piracy going on, but I would rather see Brokeback Asgard than any more Jane. That is the best relationship story in this film. That is the most heart in this film is. is this family story with Loki and his mom and and with Thor trying to reconcile that. I think Loki is a tragic character, and I think that's why he has become so popular in this series. That's why I care about him more than Thor anyways. Yeah, I'm still not on that train. I guess I'm in a minority. I think Loki is okay, and I get that he brings a certain kind of energy, but I don't want a whole Loki movie. I definitely don't. I feel like we've had too much Loki now spread out over three films. I'll agree with you half so far. I want more Loki. I don't want to see him star in a film. I think he works best as an ensemble. Yeah. Right. This is called Thor. Let's get back to Thor. Do we have to? Yeah. Yeah, we do. (laughs) We have to get to the end of this movie. This wasn't the climax, although it felt like it. It felt like they could end the movie right here, but no, they've got to get back to Earth, because during all of this, what has been sprinkled in every now and then, I guess to pepper in some laughs, is the fact that Darcy and her intern have been trying to get Stellan Skarsgård out of jail. I didn't get the sense that he went insane after the end of the Avengers, but here... He was possessed. Here he's in a mental hospital where we get our Stan Lee cameo. Yeah. He gets the shaft in this. I did laugh at his Notting Hill-like nudity at Stonehenge and that facial expression he makes. I think all this stuff on Earth is to pepper in some jokes so that it doesn't get too grim on the dark world here. But, yeah, they really turned Darcy up to 11. I know you guys like that, but I needed less of it. I didn't necessarily like Darcy as much in this one. I watched Two Broke Girls. I talked about that with the first Thor film. It's actually still survived on the air. And I think Kat Denning has great comedic timing and can tell great jokes. 
But here, she felt like she was just playing a less dirty version of the same character. And the jokes worked, but they didn't hit as hard for me this time as they did last time, for the most part. When she's like, you're still all muscly, and all those kinds of, quote, jokes, unquote. It's a slight smile versus a laugh-out-loud moment. Yeah, it's too much. I feel all this Earth stuff is too much as we're building up to this final climax. They keep cutting back. I don't need Skarsgård running around naked twice. They keep showing that scene. Mm -hmm. I Okay, it made me chuckle the first time. I don't need to see it again and again and again. I don't know why they showed it earlier. They should have shown it when the characters see it and then go to rescue him. Seeing it earlier is just telling us, hey, Skarsgård's going to be in this movie later. And there's a lot of that. There's one scene when they cut back to Darcy and Darcy literally goes, I don't know what we're supposed to do. (laughs) I don't either. Yeah, the editing in general on this movie is not very good. I agree. They should have built a mystery. Where is Eric? Eric brought us to London. That's the whole reason why they're in London. Although they say Jane's mother lives there, too. I know, that's confusing, So because she's not English. But whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's her, their mother from V from Vendetta. I, I don't know. Here, here's my question. <laughs> Since you guys have seen this twice now, every 5,000 years we get this convergence where the nine realms line up. So why do we have to go to Earth to release the ether? Why can't that be done on the Dark World? Why can't that be done in any of the nine realms if they're all lined up? Because this causes problems if you're going to try to tie this into the Marvel Universe. Bringing the end of creation to Earth is going to cause problems for me when it's just Thor there to save the day. Yeah, I, I agree. That is a problem that it is coincidence. I do not have a problem that you alluded to, Jacob. I don't have a problem that Iron Man and Captain America and all didn't show up. There wasn't time. They didn't. There was plenty of time. There was no time. They had no idea anything's going on until the convergence starts, and the convergence fight goes on for 20 minutes and it's over. By the time Iron Man gets over there, it would have been done. You're telling me S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't looking at all these weird anomalies that were popping up? They did have fighter planes. I don't know. Go watch the show. Maybe they did an episode of They're about going it, to. <laughs> they're actually going to on the 18th of November. They're going to retcon. Okay. They're having a follow-up episode showing S.H.I.E.L.D. cleaning up the mess from what happens here with no appearances from Thor actors. Exactly. For you people that just can't get it through your head that they're not going to assemble every time and that there are some fights that are solo, yes, they're going to work all that out through this TV show and all these extra bits and all that. I don't need it. I'm fine with this being Thor's fight. This is Thor's movie. Give him the fight here. But it's a muddle. When he gets back, I feel like he gets his biggest laugh. He gets to hang his uh, hammer up on the coat rack. That got a big reaction. But what happens here? This whole plot, they use Eric Sticks to do something with the gravitational field. I thought this ending was a real mess. It really was confusing. These sticks, they're trying to give Portman something to do. Because once the ether is out of her, she is completely extraneous. Yes. But she somehow has found Eric's sticks and Seeing it twice, the dialogue is a mess. Eric says he created them to detect the anomalies. Then Eric says they can stabilize the anomalies. Then Eric says, what do you mean, Jane? You mean you took all my work and have reprogrammed it to create and harness the anomalies? It's confusing. (laughs) And it's not much better than giving her nothing to do. You could have put her in danger. You could have had her damsel in distress. No, you give her basically a Game Boy, and she has to turn knobs to make things happen. Right. So much of this big climax about the end of the universe is just there for laughs. We're going to zap 
these dark elves to Darcy and her intern, and they're going to lift up cars and smash them. And Thor, he's going to be falling through portals and just about to grab his hammer, but it misses and it goes through a building's window. Like, you want me to believe that this is the end of creation, but then it's not that there's one or two jokes. It's not like when we see the Avengers fighting at the end of their film where the Hulk, he punches Thor, he beats up Loki. We get a couple of chuckles. This seems like they're going for so many laughs, and at the same time, we're supposed to get this big, exciting climax. My problem isn't that it's a yuck fest, or that it's not violent enough, although I suppose it's true. My problem truly is with the editing and the... So we're told that there's nine realms, but I only see three green circles in the sky, and they're briefly in the Asians world, and then they're back. It's really like they're going back and forth between the Dark World and Earth, and that monsters from there go to the other place. I was really getting upset that they never went to Jotunheim. We spent so much time last time in Jotunheim, and as soon as I thought that, they went to Jotunheim, and that big Rancor beast showed up again. Yeah, for a laugh, and that's going to be the post-post-credit scene. Again, going for the laugh, we're going to have this frost dog jump out and play with birds. What I can tell you is the stuff with Darcy and Ian running around with these posts is some of the stuff that they added in. They brought back Kat Denning to put in a subplot with her and Ian, and this was some of it. So a lot of this was, they may have felt it was too dour, or honestly, confusing or boring, because it really is just Thor and Malkith punching each other repeatedly. It isn't a fun fight. I enjoyed the curse fight so much more than this one, even though this one's supposed to have the stakes. Alright, I, I know I have weird movie references, but it reminds me of the end of Shocker, when the bad guy and the hero are going through all the different television shows, the way they just kept jumping from realm to realm. And what I like in this ending is the humor. I like that when Thor goes to a different realm, Mjolnir goes into space to get to him. And it is, I don't think it goes light speed. It has a long-ass trip. And then he comes back to Earth and Mjolnir turns back around. It's a minor detail. I think a lot of people may not understand why Mjolnir went to space. I think that's in there for the geeks. But it's something I enjoyed a lot more than this fight, which I think is substandard to every other fight. It's not as good as when the Dark Elves invaded. It's not even as good as when they were fighting in Vanaheim. The problem for me is not that they have inserted humor or that it's too goofy. The problem is that this is not well made. I do wonder if Whedon was making this film, if it wouldn't be just as fun as the climax of Avengers, that he would have found a way to make all the supporting characters have battles that meant something. Instead, yeah, it feels random. It feels like everything got shook up in a box, as opposed to an expertly choreographed fight scene where things are changing and escalating, and we're really into it. I'm not into the movie at this point. I can see why I was confused after a first viewing this this feels very digressive, and I just wonder how it will end. If you have a evil source that cannot be killed, and you can zap it and do whatever you want, and it cannot be destroyed, how does this end? I still don't know. <laughs> you give it to Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, we give it to Benicio Del Toro. We'll talk about that in a second. But what? They threw some sticks at him? I don't understand this. <laughs> Uh-uh. I understand it. I don't necessarily like it. They use Jane Sticks, which has been proven that with her Game Boy, she can <laughs> cause the 
teleportation. By throwing the sticks at Malkith, it has an area of effect, and Malkith has grown tall. The ether has made him a giant, and so it takes away his arm, it takes away his other arm, and then it takes away his whole body, just transporting it to random spots, which is fine, because he can be anywhere because the ether is in him. You move him, you move the ether. You just have to get him away from this exact spot at this exact time. Okay. How did they get the ether out of him, though? They just, they remove his body and zap it somewhere else? They never get the ether out of him. The ether is still in him when they zap him to the dark world. And then he's killed when, thankfully, his ship falls towards Thor, but there's another portal. This time, Zelvig gets the Game Boy and zaps it to the dark world. It kills Malkin. But you can't kill the ether, so it's just sitting there like, all right, what do I do now? Okay, so it's just floating around, but he's dead. <sighs> it didn't make him so strong that he could actually survive the ship falling off of him. Right. Because he had no arms, I guess. I, I mean, <laughs> look at what your justification is. And I'm not saying you didn't do an admirable job, but <laughs> that you had to do this kind of twister dance in order to explain what we watched that I saw twice is a testament to how poorly this ending has come together. I'm not going to try to justify it. I think that the fourth act is the obligatory fight. And, Stuart, when we reviewed Avengers, you said, okay, here's the part where people have to punch each other, and it's the part you're less keyed into. Here, this is a part I'm usually very keyed into, and some of it is okay, but by and large, I found this fight to be repetitive and overly long, and it lacked stakes. Thor is fighting to defend the creation of the universe, but... It doesn't even have the emotional residence of Cal versus Zod in Man of Steel. I mean, there's no history between these characters, and the stakes are so large as to not feel like having any stakes at all. It's just a big CGI-filled fight. It is obligatory and rote, which isn't to say I think it's bad. I just don't think it's good either. It's just completely middle of the road. I, I will say it is bad. I've become extremely disengaged from this film during this climax. I think a lot of films, bad films, this is what happens. You get to this final fight and you kind of just fudge some ending. You don't know how to really logistically get out of it. And I feel that this falls into that trap and that makes it at least this act, this resolution. It's poor. It's bad. It's not satisfying. Yeah, it's not clear even what would have happened had they not intervened. Would the blackness just, like, have clouded out light? I don't even know what the aim was by standing in the center point, and I don't really care. Uh, the guy gets crushed, uh, the girl gets Thor, and everything is reset. You know, we end on Asgard with Thor rejecting the throne to Loki. I mean, we all know it's Loki, right? This I is, did like, not know this was Loki. Uh, the For real? You really didn't? Wow. I'll tell you. In 2D, I did. Odin's armor is green and gold in that scene. You can't tell in 3D, can you? No. But in 2D, when you can actually see the color, his armor is green and gold. And I'm that would have told me the first time that it was Loki. But because I was just seeing dark armor and the lines being said, the remembrances of the mother, the fact that he says, you once told me there would never be a wiser king than me. Well, he said that, I don't think, when Loki was standing around. So all of this makes me think that it was him, and I 
wondered if they were just leaving it out or if we would see Loki again this film. I didn't get that what? Are we supposed to take it that Odin is also dead and Loki killed him? Yes. No, I, I take it he's just locked up somewhere. They're not going to kill him off screen. He got hit over the Odin head and he's Odin knocked yeah, out. He's taking his nap again. <laughs> well, you know, it is Disney. Uh, they may not want to go that dark, but by having that earlier scene where Anonymous Asgardian comes to Odin and gives him a cockeyed look, gets meant to imply that the death was off screen, but that he was there to kill him, I think. I think it depends on the context contract negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. And it's true. It's the, will they get Hopkins back? Will he really want to do this? I don't know. But that's one of, like, four endings. Because that is ending one. And it's a good ending to end with... <laughs> I'll tell you, for me, who I've been hot and cold on this movie both times I watched it, to end with a shot of Loki is what would make me excited to return for Thor 3. I know Loki's not in Avengers 2, but he would apparently be in a Thor 3. That is more exciting to me than the return of Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, much like this begun, like Lord of the Rings, now we're going to end it with a few different endings. Yeah, then number two is mid-credits, a little ways into the credits. It is a tease for Guardians of the Galaxy, which isn't even the next Avengers film. The next one's Captain America. <laughs> but after that, we get Guardians of the Galaxy, and we're going to get a glimpse of its villain, or one of its many villains here, Benicio Del Toro, the Collector. This what? <laughs> I'll let you take it, Stuart. Because I'm sure you're. I read the comics, and I was confused. I'm sure you're even more yeah. lost. What about this is supposed to make it appealing? I'm supposed to want to see a movie with him doing this. This feels like Monkey Bone. This feels like. No, seriously, like those low rent Beetlejuice ripoffs, Drop Dead Fred. I mean, really, just like who on their right mind said, I recognize he, the ink's probably still drying on the contract and they shot this really quick. It's like the shwarma scene at the end of Avengers. They just, they wanted to give us a little tease here. But honestly, if it's going to look this bad, leave it out. I mean, this does not look appetizing in any way, shape, or form. I'm doubly disappointed by this, because the rumor had been that Doctor Strange was going to make an appearance in Thor 2. So I thought, you know, with all this magic going on, I was going to get my Doctor Strange intro. But, to know, to see Oscar-winning Benicio Del Toro doing this, humiliating. Yeah, you know, if I was getting a Star Trek vibe before, now I'm getting like a TV Star Trek vibe. That, that, yes. that lady that's painted pink... Yeah, you say the ink hasn't dried on the contracts, hasn't dried on their bodies yet. <laughs> I really thought this scene, because Sif and Volstagg are there, because they were the two who were available, I guess, to get in makeup. <laughs> it really felt like two characters in the 1960s walked off the set of a Steve Reeves Hercules movie to visit William Shatner on the set of Star Trek, and there's the Orion dancing girl. I have been looking at Guardians of the Galaxy with my head cocked and going, Really? Right. That's where you're going is with Guardians of the Galaxy, a talking tree, a raccoon. I'm curious about it, but I was at New York Comic Con at a exclusive event for people who give Marvel too much money, and they showed me a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy that looked really good. And I'm like, wow, this movie could work. This movie actually could defy expectations. It's not going to make 200 million. It's way too niche for that, but it might appeal to the serenity type of crowd. And then I see this and I go, oh, maybe not. Maybe the trailer was really well edited because if this is the vibe of the next one, and Benicio, he may have an Oscar, but he's not known for subtle performances. 
and this over the top performance with this over the top set decoration and yeah it does look like 1960s sci-fi in all the worst ways if this is supposed to entice me for guardians it did exactly the opposite yeah i didn't mind the over the top performance by him it's just how cheap mm-hmm. everything looked i thought disney being involved with marvel meant that we would never get another howard the duck and now I think it's imminent. I think they're about to unleash the duck at the end of next summer. I predict, based on this scene entirely, and the idea that it involves a raccoon in a tree, that this is going to be the worst Marvel movie yet. I mean, that's what they established here in three minutes. That property went from a curiosity to a curse. I mean, I get what they're setting up. They're s- Do you? Actually setting up Avengers 3 because they talk about Infinity Gems. And I know what the Infinity Gauntlet is. It's what Thanos wants. And Thanos, they've already come out and said Thanos is the bad guy in Avengers 3. He's going to appear next in Guardians, but he's the big bad of Avengers 3. We get James Spader as a robot for Avengers 2. And so I get that they're setting up these Infinity Stones. The Tesseract is one. The Ether is one. How many more movies do they have? Because they got to set up four more gems for us to be gathered. Ant-Man might have another gem in it. But I just think that this looks bad. And this scene was directed by James Gunn. <gasps> that was my one hope. Was I was like, maybe they just got the intern <laughs> to shoot this like it, really quick. And I'll also say that Taylor, when asked about this scene, said, I don't know who shot it. I don't know if it was Gunn or if it was just somebody else. But I'm happy to not take credit for that scene. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame him. It's the weakest, weirdest, buggiest scene in the entire movie. It's not even in this movie. This is a tease for what we're to want next summer. I don't want it. I really don't want it. And then the final end credit scene is so lackluster. I think they might have possibly should have switched these around. I think the after credits reveal <laughs> should have been the Loki reveal. Yeah, Loki's the end credit reveal. This makeout scene and the joke about the frost dog. That's how you end the film. <laughs> yes, I agree. I, I like the frost dog as a throwaway laugh, a shawarma type laugh, only not as funny. But to end with making out with Jane? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. You despise Portman, so you are not keyed into the fact that this story has been about him being a man of his word, that he really did want to get back with her. He said he was going to return, and then he took two years and appeared in New York, was seen in New York, didn't come visit her, has been a largely very bad boyfriend. We could have presumed that he was going to take another two years to see her. This is what we're supposed to want. We're supposed to want him to come back. He gave up his throne for her. In case you didn't get that in the speech with Anthony Hopkins, the reason why he's not fit for the throne is because, what, you can't boink Portman and be king? No, you saw this twice. That's not why he gave up the throne at all. He said, tell me I can't see her or tell me she can rule at my side. The reason I'm giving up the throne is because I would rather be a good man than a good ruler and the compromises a good ruler has to make. The choice Odin made earlier about allowing Asgardians to die to protect the ether, these are not the kind of moral choices Thor is comfortable with making. It has nothing to do with Jane. Oh, well, see, but that was a bad choice. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm had enough with it. I, I could see it five more. Are you guys excited by this? It's not just me, right? That Portman is the MacGuffin, that Thor wants Portman, and that this ends with them making out. Does that 
work for you two? It- Look, the, these last scenes, these post credit scenes, they're supposed to set up the next film or something in the Marvel Universe. That That's what confuses me the most about this is, okay, you show Loki as Odin. Okay, Thor 3, I know what's going to happen now. This, no, I, I don't care about this couple. I don't think Thor is any better off for being with Jane Foster. I don't think she brings anything to the table to make him a better man, better leader, better whatever. Drop her, get with Sif, go find some space chick on your travels. Anyone's better than Jane. What I don't understand is what happens the morning after. Okay, sure, this looks good at a postcard. You came back, a kiss rain, very romantic. What are you going to do next week? I mean, literally, what's he got lined up for career prospects? (laughs) They're just going to keep kissing? I mean... There were so many jokes in this. You know, Thor wasn't on Earth enough, but they still did bring back the fish out of water jokes that I enjoyed of him getting in her car and not fitting and him riding the subway and minding the gap, trying to get back to Greenwich. I enjoyed those jokes, but that's going to be his life now. Yeah, I agree. It will be very strange to pick up in Avengers 2 and see him as, yeah, being earthified. And I think all they're really doing is saying he can commute. I don't know that he's living on Earth. He can go back and forth whenever he wants. Just, hey, Heimdall, need a lift. And Heimdall's there to pick him up almost instantaneously. Well, Heimdall's ever vigilant. I don't think he even uses the bathroom. I was surprised to see him sit down for a drink to talk a plan. And this is just explaining to us, without needing any dark magic, why Thor will be around for Avengers 2. And why we won't have to explain Jane, because he just left her at home, because he can see her all the time and does. Just not on the movie screens, because her contract's up, right? Two movie? And they had to almost sue her for this one. I'm surprised that they ended the way they did, because that's going to be... It is going to be problematic if there is a Thor 3, if they can't get her back. I mean, maybe they could back up the money truck, but I don't know that she's worth it. No, write her out. Kill her off screen. Recast. Yeah, recast. Yeah. They did it with War Machine. They'll, They'll do it to her. All right, so I guess I am a little bit in suspense. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Thor The Dark World? Jacob. You know, the funny thing is, Arnie, you you should be in a little bit of suspense because I toyed with a recommend. If I had a gun to my head and I had to make a choice right as this film ended, I was at a weak recommend. I've had this evolution of my recommendation as I've had time for this film to simmer in my head and to think about it and go through this discussion. You know, okay, bad plot. Uh, There are some good action scenes. I guess maybe I could give it a weak recommend based on that. I like Loki in this. But you know what? The more I think about it, it's not an instantaneous rejection. Like, I think of Transformers. That plot is dumb when you know you're watching it. This one, I'm watching it, and I'm like, okay, this plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's a cool battle. I I could forgive this bad uh, villain, whatever his motivation is. But the more I think about this plot, the more I think about the holes and the contrivances and how much I have to give this film. I have to give this film a lot to just be satisfied with some battles. And really, it's one battle. That's satisfying. This climax is just kind of boring, and I just got my arms crossed by the end of it. Waiting, that to me is a not recommend. I, I don't think this is the worst Marvel film out there, but it's unsatisfying. And the more I think about it, you know, that first Thor film, okay, it was this goofy rom com and it didn't have any real great fights, but this one, you didn't have to be hindered by that origin story. You could have done some great battle scenes, even if it was going to just be sugar coated pop. But no, it, it's one great scene, a couple funny lines, a good performance by Hiddleston. But in the end, this is a week not recommend, but I just I can't recommend this one. It makes me angry the more I think about it and how much it wants me to give it to make it as a, a film that's satisfying. 
Stewart. Usually, comic book movies that I respond to, the ones I like, the ones that I recommend, and they're a, they are a minority, we all know this, I'm not the comic book guy, the ones I respond to have a scope that go beyond comic book. Thor 2 is straight up cartoon. That's what this is. It sh- it's what it should have been. The plot here does not justify $180 million budget and all of these talented people throwing their work into it. It's just, the story is nothing. It's complete crap. It would be pacifying for children. It is maddening for adults to sit here and try to parse it out. You've heard us. We have not liked this plot a lot. And I think what comes across with my disapproval is largely that this story is just not worth our time. Dark elves, and it's, it's just dumb. No frills, whatever. That said, I do want to celebrate that this is a step up. Thor was a mess. A real mess. Here, they've listened and they've made some capital improvements here. They have readjusted some of the characters so that they make a little more sense. Loki's motivation is cleaner. They have toned down the comedy. It's funny. Now, I'm laughing when Thor is doing the fish-out-of-water stuff because they're not hitting that note every time. The romance, well, they didn't fix that. But I do feel like the darker tone suits this movie. They're closer to making the Thor movie I thought I was going to get first time. They're closer to making the movie that I would like. Are they close enough for a recommend is your question. I don't know. I saw this movie twice because after I saw it the first time, I was just like, I have no idea. Seeing it a second time, I do feel like, yeah, what's good and bad about it becomes more apparent. It's not much better than Blade 2 and Amazing Spider-Man or Star Trek Into Darkness, but is it Green Arrow material here? I'll put it this way. If Disney makes this quality film for the rest of its run, they will never get another Red Arrow from me. I am going to give this a green arrow because I think they have made a passable, adequate, generic movie. But I will never enjoy them. And so you tell me whether this is a recommend or not. (laughs) I didn't enjoy Thor The Dark World. I don't think it's that entertaining. But it is completely acceptable. It is exactly what it pretends to be. And I think that if you do not want to poke at it, it won't bite you. I think that it will go down very easy. And it's completely watchable. It's better than Iron Man 3. It's better than Incredible Hulk, slightly. I'm basically turning the arrow up for them listening and making it better than Thor. But did I like it? Not really. (laughs) That may be the most damning recommend (laughs) in the history of now playing. That's worse than saying a weak recommend. I hated it, but I'll recommend it. Well, allow me to give perhaps the second most damning recommend in the history of Now Playing, because... <laughs> can we get yellow arrows for this? <laughs> yeah, I like yellow arrow. That's good. I could give this one a yellow arrow, but between mm-hmm. green and red, I'm yeah. giving it red. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little bit torn as I walked out of the theater as well, on what, the, especially the first time, on which way my arrow goes, because I stand by... The first 45 minutes of this movie is really not good at all and so damning that I will probably never watch this movie again until there's a marathon that goes to, what, Avengers 2? That would be a hell of a long one. Uh, maybe Thor 3. I don't see myself returning to this. And I'm going to disagree with both of you. I think, to me, this is the worst Marvel Studios film. Wow. Really, the this Phase 2 stuff has not been good. But it's been recommendable. It's recommendable, but not good. (laughs) If Phase 1 had the quality of Phase 2, I'd still be giving the green arrows, but 
I don't think that it would have fans. I don't think there'd be cosplayers if Iron Man 1 had the quality of Iron Man 3 and if Thor 1 had the quality of Thor 2. You guys didn't like Thor 1. I think they took all the good stuff because, yes, they heard complaints like yours and Jacob and Stuart and said, oh, people don't like the comedy. That's what worked for me in the first one, goddammit. So you take out what I like and you leave me more of what I don't. But they put some of it back. It feels really forced. I can, like, watch this movie and just feel what was shot later because it is of such a different tone. And I almost feel like Walt came from the grave and put a gun next to Taylor's head and went, you will make jokes. Because it is so not a cohesive film. That scene with Captain America, that was another insert. They did not have that in original shooting. It is the best laugh of the movie done at the 11th hour. But the add-ins, do they make this movie great? No. Do they make this movie better? Yes. I don't want more Malekith talking about his reasons for hating Asgard. I don't like Malekith. I think you've wasted Christopher Eccleston in that role underneath that silly makeup. I think that you've taken Thor, and when we've watched the first Thor movie, I'm like, Hemsworth isn't big enough. He's gotten bigger, and now I can't imagine anybody else playing Thor. He is as Thor to me as Downey is Iron Man to me. I think that recasting him can be done, but... I really see him as Thor now with that body and that delivery and especially in the early scenes when he's a little bit smug and enjoying the battles, less so when he's mopey and poor me in that little blue poncho. So I really had to weigh, does the good outweigh the bad in Thor 2? And yeah, I think I'm coming down where you are, Stuart. It is not a movie that you can't have some fun with. But it's certainly not a, oh my god, you gotta see this movie, the way Iron Man and Avengers were. It is a huge step down to a completely mediocre film, and the question becomes, does mediocre get the arrow? And Stuart, you usually are the proponent of mediocre being Red Arrow. And in this case, I would probably give Mediocre a red arrow, except they did take some risks in killing Frigga and Hiddleston rocks on screen. And so it ekes over the line. But for the Marvel Studios movie, this is the lowest of recommends I've given. And it really makes me worried, not only for the rest of Marvel's Phase 2, but Star Wars Episode 7. Because when you look at Marvel Phase 1, that was Marvel. And even though Disney had completed the purchase by Avengers, Avengers was well underway when Disney got involved. I feel Walt's fingers in these films, and I don't like it. And I feel the next group of Star Wars films are going to be like Phase 2 of the Marvel films. Yeah, they're not bad. But they're not anything I'd get tattooed over. You might have said that about the prequels as well, but I hear what you're saying. It's not encouraging. I don't feel like we're under great new management. Avengers, while being a Disney movie, was the last of their independent control. I'm most curious about what will happen when Josh Whedon returns, because I think he is... It can't be underestimated what he did for that movie, what this whole series, that they brought him back in for some polish-ups on this movie, speaks to how much he matters to where this series is going. I think we should hold off all judgment until we get to Avengers 2, but no, two movies in a row that are very discouraging. I gotta say, though, what's next? Captain America. 
based off the trailer I saw, and I, I know it hit the internet earlier, but I held off, watched it for the first time on the big screen. I'm excited for that. I, I know what the Winter Soldier is. I, I know that comic storyline. It's a good one. And that trailer, it was impressive. Now, Arnie, you said they did an impressive trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep, they could be pulling one over us. But I've got some faith in Captain America, too. I agree at the 3D showing. The only reason to see the 3D showing is they have an extended version of that trailer. They show you the entire elevator scene that you've seen bits of in the trailer, plus even more of the footage that's in that trailer. Nothing revolutionary, but a five-minute version of that trailer. And yes, it is my shining hope for Marvel Phase 2 because that movie looks tremendous. It looks to be about something. It looks like there's a real vision and motivation to tell this. All of the Thor trailers, I thought about this as I left, all the Thor trailers, they didn't really tell me the plot. They're like, Thor's back. That's the selling point. Thor's back. Captain America is telling me, Captain America's back, these other people are back, and there's a new badass for him to fight, and there's a moral dilemma. So, Captain America could pull Marvel Phase 2 out of this tailspin that if you look at Iron Man 3, Thor 2, and this Guardians bit we saw, it appears to be it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. If I were not on now playing, I would probably go see Captain America in theaters, this new one that's happening. I probably would have skipped over most of the other ones, or at least caught them on DVD and television. There is something that's exciting. It looks like a political thriller. I think that that's what's exciting, is it's not just a superhero movie. It looks like like, yeah, it's got stakes. I mentioned in my sum up, I like the comic book movies that take on real world problems that go beyond the scope of a cartoon. This is not going to be a cartoon, or at least not from what I'm seeing. I'm very anxious for Winter Soldier. I think it could be the best Marvel movie ever. Yeah, and there's so much more to come with Marvel. I mean, next year alone, we have Captain America and Guardians of the Galaxy, our last two films before Avengers 2. I guess that's the big thing with Guardians of the Galaxy is it's a little risk because even if it completely sucks and nobody sees it, everybody's still going to go back for Avengers 2. Oh yeah, it, it, it won't have an impact on the bottom line, but it does mean that they can't sell any property with a Marvel stamp to the audience, that there there are limits. And uh, we'll see. I'm not going to judge a movie based on one bit with the collector, but I can say they've done nothing absolutely nothing to entice me to want to see it or for me to think that this is something that adults would enjoy it looks very kitty it looks very saturday morning and they've already started to announce their phase three stuff and what i find very interesting about phase three i mean maybe they're biding their time a little bit but so far there have been no returning avengers what we have as the first movies announced for phase three are ant-man and Doctor Strange. I'm half excited. <laughs> and again, I don't want to oversell that I love Doctor Strange. I still haven't read a comic yet. <laughs> I just find it intriguing that they've made a magician a superhero. I think that that's kind of a fun concept, and that 70s TV movie was so weird. If they dared to go the horror route, I want it. If they go the Guillermo del Toro route, that is a film I want to see. If they make it look like what these movies have been, and he's just making doves appear out of thin air, eh, not into it. They did say that Loki won't return in Avengers 2. If he returns, it will be in Thor 3. Hemsworth is signed for one more Thor film, plus two more Avengers films. This movie, by the time we've recorded, already banked well over $100 million overseas. 
on pace to do probably 180 or so stateside, it'll do well enough to justify a Thor 3 if that's what the studio wants to do. Yeah, I think Thor 3 is inevitable, and, you know, they've left room to improve. I thought they got better from the first one. I think that they could make the best Thor... I think the best (laughs) Thor movie is ahead of us. It's a low bar. I I deeply believe that. I deeply believe it, though. I believe that they could finally make the movie that I really want instead of these shruggable second one or detestable first one. I I am happy that Alan Taylor said he won't return. Yeah, I agree. New creative impulse. I think Whedon. I think so far what I've seen in the Marvel Universe is I liked Favreau and Whedon. And without them, the movies do kind of suffer. And then there is another couple Marvel properties next year. Big Hero 6. I think the first animated one. Yeah. You sent me a cell of this or something. I'm not big on the animated films. We all know this. I, I There are great ones, and maybe this is one, but uh, you say animated superhero, and it's like two splashes of acid in the face. Not even a big property. As far as I know, it's only had a couple of miniseries. It's kind of a takeoff on a Japanese team, I believe. But it's coming from Disney Animation. I mean, they if you're going to talk animated films, they have made, along with Pixar, some of the best, and then they bought Pixar. They haven't made a real good one for a very long time, though. And then if we go by our Stephen King retrospective where we've started taking miniseries into the mix, it looks like we, in 2015, will not only have Avengers 2 and Ant-Man, but possibly The Defenders. Yeah, they're what? This is going to be a Netflix original. Four separate series building up to The Defenders. Huh? They're doing four television series like they did House of Cards and Arrested Development's latest season where they're having Jessica Jones, a newer character by Brian Bendis and a writer I like, but a character I don't know. Luke Cage, otherwise known as Power Man. Mm-hmm. Iron Fist, a martial artist. Excited for that one. And, th- and then for you, Stuart, we're bringing back someone. Daredevil. What? <laughs> I had heard Netflix was getting into superhero TV shows, I thought. Daredevil. Is this where he's washed up? Okay. (laughs) And then, after all these four series conclude, and they're all coming out in 2015, being made simultaneously, they're going to do a Defenders miniseries where these four form their own superhero team. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel like we're still a couple of weeks away from Thanksgiving, but that bloat you get after you (laughs) eat all the turkey and all of that, aren't they getting a little big for the britches here, Marvel? Like, haven't we had enough of this? I'm having so much superhero fatigue at this point. Thor 2 really was the height of it. It just said to me, we don't have anything new to do. All the stuff that they showed us was stuff I felt like I'd already seen in a bunch of other superhero properties. How much more of this do they have in them? I I guess as much as the market will demand. So it'll be up to how many people are, are game for consuming it. But I know I don't want all this shit. What Disney's going to do with Marvel and what Disney's going to do with Star Wars, a new Star Wars movie every year, they're going to just take this cash cow and milk it till the udder is completely dry. They're going to choke us with the milk of Star Wars and Marvel until we regurgitate it. And they're going to continue to make worse and worse stuff because they're going to run out of inspiration. And eventually we will all be puking on the stuff that we loved. (laughs) This is really something new. You know, you think about James Bond and... You guys can correct me. There's, what, 25, 26 James Bond films. But it's every, you know, three or four years or maybe in some bigger spaces in between. But those always seem like an event, even though we had so many. But it was the new James Bond film. We didn't get anything in between. You know, there there is something to say that about less being more. It's greed. 
we're talking about greed here. We're talking about people that aren't satisfied having a big movie they can count on every three years. We're talking about people that want to repeat it and think that they can, that it's just, it doesn't take three years of effort and artistry to make a good movie. That you can just knock out anything, stamp it with uh, the label, and people will buy it. They might be right. I don't know. But I know that the quality will dip if they continue to expand in this way. It just won't all consistently be as good. We've already seen it. It's already evident. Yeah, it's inevitable. You can't make 30 movies and have them all be good. Go back to our James Bond series for that. And James Bond, they were more regular in the early years. That's before there was video and movies at home. You could make the same movie every two years, and people would go see it because they missed the last one and have no chance to see the last one. But by the time we got into the 80s and the 90s, yeah, there were some rights issues, but they also take the time to craft and make a good James Bond film, and they understand. Lucasfilm understood that you could flood the market, but you don't want to gorge your fans. Lucasfilm has always restricted the number of video games and the number of books and things that could come out. And you may go and think, oh my god, there's so much, but Lucasfilm has always kept the throttle a bit low to keep the appetite a bit higher. And Disney, they're just going to shove it down your throat. Which seems so ironic coming from a company that created this notion of a vault that we're going to lock our stuff in. So when we release it every 10 years, you got to hurry and consume it before we take it away from you again. It, it's They're either starving us or forced feeding us. Hey, I love the vault. That was their best idea. Speaking of the vault, Chucky's available. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if we'll be getting a a mass production of Chucky movies now that he has decided to reinvent himself as a straight-to-DVD star, and we've covered him. Yeah, it is our first time opening the vault, and we did it only because of the DVDs. People have said, so you're doing Alien next? No, we're not opening the vault again. We have no plans to do so. I see nothing in the future coming that would make us do so. We did this because Chucky was our first donation series, and a lot of new listeners have joined us since then. And, bigger reason, there was a new movie, and we had to decide how to handle that. We are opening the vault, and you can get all six Chucky reviews, including the new Curse of Chucky. And again, in case you haven't listened, if you donated for Chucky or the DVD and already have the first five, we have tried to contact you to give you Chucky. You are grandfathered in for Chucky. Uh, If you didn't get that email, drop us a line at show at nowplayingpodcast.com. But that is it for Avengers this week. I think we're going to go back to some Stephen King now. I think that uh, if you want to talk about somebody with the output and gorging you, how about Stephen King? (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, uh, also a victim of mass productions. Salem's Lot is not just a 1979 Toby Hooper TV movie. It's also got a straight-to-tape 80s sequel-ish and a, a 2004 Rob Lowe miniseries. So, yes, we're going to hit Salem's Lot three times before we finally get to, come on, drum roll, please, The Shining. I know that that's the one everyone's been excited about. I am too. It may be my most anticipated movie we're covering this year. I'm excited because Dr. Sleep, the sequel book, came out this year. We were really working to get The Shining in the same year as Dr. Sleep. 
Glad we're able to. And over at booksandnachos.com, before the next Now Playing is out, you can hear my in-depth review of Salem's Lot. And then there are two Salem's Lot-associated short stories I'll be reviewing as we go through Salem's Lot. And then, yes, I'll be reviewing The Shining and Dr. Sleep. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So much to look forward to. We're not done yet. We're done with the movie theaters this year. We're not seeing anything else in theaters. And not for the show, at least. There's a lot of movies I'm looking forward to. <laughs> oh, agreed, agreed. But, yeah, well, join you at the movie theaters next year. But for the rest of the year, Stephen King. So until next time, Avengers Assemble! What are you all doing? You need to get out of here, now! You're joking, right? That's Thor out there, he's waving his hammer around and everything! Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. This is a whole new level of weird. I don't feel inclined to step away from it. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives, where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series, such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher, plus DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. We also have non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We made this thing, all of us. Please. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Here we remain as a beacon of hope, shining out across the stars. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You've seen what he becomes, right? I have. And it's beautiful. Godlike. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You have to explain that statement, sir. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice. And very tasteful. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. I've moved on to the next one, because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's the job. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Wow. You spoke to me with what you did, and I know that you knew that I'd be listening. Now playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Marvel Studios, Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, or the Disney Company. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, and all that the Marvel Universe contains are the property and trademark of the Disney Company and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. 
Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Now Playing is a Vincanza Media Production. Copyright 2013. All rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! Next time, baby. And Stuart, let me know when you are, because you are kind of sounding Mr. Roboto this morning. Domo arigato. Females. There was a big female percentage in that audience when I saw this. I'm glad you said percentage. I thought you were talking about a specific female. No. <laughs> there was a big female in a Sif outfit, and I thought it was inappropriate, <laughs> but hey, whatever. And here is where everybody gets their moment to shine. Let me look up their names. I don't <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that dude does something cool for half a second, dangling off a rope. <laughs> um. I must have looked like the biggest Ray Stevenson fan in the world when I went yes. to see this because I was wearing my Punisher hoodie. <laughs> I just suddenly realized. <laughs> oh, what was his name? Aldrich Killian? No, the other, the fake bad guy. Uh, the Mandarin. Uh, Mandarin, That's but his real name's uh, Trevor. Yeah, well, yeah. To Loki. I mean, we all know it's Loki, right? This I did not like, know this was Loki. Uh, the, for real? You really didn't? Wow. I'll tell you. In 2D, I did. Not just because I'd seen it, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, after I saw it a second time, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> How did we go longer than Avengers on this one? <laughs> we talked forever on yeah. this one. Yeah. Anyone else?